Ladies and gentlemen of the Trail Show Nation, we have heard your pleas over the years and we value and respect them. Without you, our listeners, we'd just be four hikers sitting around Mags's living room talking to ourselves. No one would be listening. No one would be laughing or smiling. We wouldn't be sampling fine beers from all over America. The world would be a grim place. So tonight, Trail Show listeners, we will honor your pleas, the pleas you've made over the years. And tonight, we will be doing something very special for you, listeners of the Trail Show Nation. Tonight, the night of October 8th, we will abstain from using any and all sound effects. Trail Show Nation! We've read the negative iTunes reviews. We've seen the tweets. We know what you want. Listeners of the Trail Show. And you want a trail show recorded without sound effects. So tonight, we will abstain from pressing the buttons on Disco's iPad to play yet another vacuum tube buzzing, canned laughter, correct answers on a quiz show, or a person taking a hit from a bong sound. Tonight, trail show listeners, you will hear our true selves, and we hope you like it. Hey, uh, where's Disco tonight, guys? He is with his mama in South Kakalaka, and is also with his iPad. P.O.D., let's let's just start the show, okay? Bear has nothing to do with hiking. Get on the trail! We're talking about dirt, mud, blood, and guts. Can nobody fiesta? It's the trail show. My God, Polly. Featuring Lawton, Disco, Grinter. What the hell are you two doing, Mike? Felicia, P.O.D., Hermosillo. What are you girls doing up here? Mike, D.Lo, DiLorenzo. Yeah! Paul, Mags, Magnanti. She's a fraud. And now from Mags' living room, it's the trail show. Oh, yes, yes, y'all. Coming to you live from Boulder, Colorado's Eastern Beer District in the Bobby Walters studio at Casa Magnanti. You are listening to The Trail Show. We are he- heard worldwide on iTunes, Stitcher, and at thetrailshow.com. It's word of mouth that, that gets folks to tune in, so get your gums flapping and tell your friends, your enemies, and anyone who supports Donald Trump about The Trail Show. It is October 8th, and we are toked, I mean stoked, that you've joined us today. We've got a gigantesco show for you today with plenty of star power to replace Disco, who is visiting his homeland of Peaches and the infamous Peachoid. Today's show is sponsored by Purple Rain Adventure Skirts. Purple Rain Adventure Skirts is dedicated to providing women and men with performance apparel that inspires the freedom of adventure without compromising style or function. Hand sewn with love in Oregon, these hiking skirts feature a yoga-style waistband, which means super stretchy, and two side pockets big enough to fit your smartphone, map and snacks, or anything else you need handy, D-Lo. Lightweight and quick drying, designed by hikers for hikers. Skirts and kilts available at purplerainskirts.com. And I would just like to add that I am wearing my new Purple Rain skirt that I plan on hiking in New Zealand with right now. And uh, I would just like to let our listeners know that tomorrow when I go to yoga at noon, I plan to wear a purple uh, hiking skirt. But before I go to yoga, I'm actually going to drink two or three beers because I feel like when I go to yoga, I perform better if I drink beer. So I'm very excited about the super stretchy yoga waistband because that will allow me to expand my belly by drinking beer before doing yoga. It's, it's good for all that ujjayi breathing. Too. It is. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, before we get into our the, the meat of our show today, ladies and gentlemen, 
He was sabotaging a government attempt of destruction of public lands right here in Colorado. In studio, Dilo, I believe you have some plagiarism. You I sure do. We got him in here in the studio just tonight. He was actually trying to insert some d- under a bridge over I-25 down in Denver. But we resurrected him. We got him out of there before he caused, wreaked havoc on the rush hour and caused people to have a horrible commute home. Tonight, we have a former uh, expert in the fine arts of smoking cigars and occupying a bar stool. Our guest has spent a lot of time walking across the planet and observing nature and the humans who visit it. He's the former contributing editor at Backpacker Magazine and author of the book Smoke Signals, Wayward Journeys Through the Old Heart of the New West. He's also the longtime editor of the Mountain Gazette, where he built up a faithful tribe of mountain town followers who eagerly awaited his monthly columns. And by the way, before I go too much further, I'm just going to let everybody know that I'm plagiarizing this whole paragraph from a recent National Geographic article, so we are no longer liable. Thank you very much. Having visited trails from Mexico's <laughs> Copper Canyon to the Rockies' Continental Divide, our guest tonight is author m john fahey ladies and gentlemen let's give him a warm welcome to the trail show you can we get some applause I, we... I, I thought we weren't doing that tonight oh yeah m john fahey welcome, welcome. I, I hate to have to clap for myself <laughs> but i will do it yeah normally we have an applause machine that does that sort of thing among many other well-like sound effects but it's not here tonight well thanks for having me in boulder well thanks yes. for coming so, Mags, uh, what sort of buffet are we going to be offering up for tonight's show? Our, a buffet of many services. Uh, we have trail news. A, we're going to announce the contest, the continuing contest for the Make Ultra Superior Trails. There's a controversy about it, though, so we're going to have to delve into that one. We're going to discuss the Copper Canyon, announce the winners of our Mags Challenge Trail Work Contest. Lots of great entries. Thank you, listeners. Some trips from the past month, including our road show. Uh, a trail tip. Will Disco be doing that? From afar? No, oh. I think we're going to take care of that in house. I think we got it. We got it? Okay. We just don't have that crazy sound effect to lead into it. Yeah, we do. Oh, we do? That's we do. not a sound effect. That's intro music. It's oh. different. Oh, okay. So we have our mailbag, our bear and b- bandwidth sponsor shout outs. And of course, we're going to be discussing a new documentary about Ed Abbey and the, the spirit of Ed Abbey, Wrenched which is, is coming out recently, playing here in Boulder, Chautauqua, for our listeners. On Friday night. That's tomorrow. That's tomorrow. And, and another Ask a Hiker, and of course, a gear review. All right. Well, before we get into all that, it's time for Disco's favorite segment, Mike DiLorenzo's Damn Beer of the Month. Wait, can I try that? Mike DiLorenzo's beer, 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 beer of the month, 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 month. So you know, I'm sorry, Max. You're looking at me like I'm kind of weird. Oh no, it just seems weird without these sound effects. Shall I it? say it? The sound yeah. effects. Without the sound effects, I have to kind of move my. No, no, you're you're doing it fine. But yeah. I guess we have to kind of go yeah. like this to yeah. get the the, the sound. Because listeners. if it's too weird, we could go back. Wait, really? Mike, Mike DiLorenzo. Of the damn month. All is good with the world again. Okay. Wait, I thought we so couldn't. talk to us about the beer. Dilo. I have no idea what these beers are. You picked them up from our friend Craig Gully. Actually, Disco <laughs> met him at the Shady Shamrock Station, which is where we do all our beer deliveries these days. Somebody tell us about these beers then. Somebody who picked them at, up. At I the don't know Shady... anything about them. you got to read the can. But they're from Craig Gully. He, dro- he was driving his camper through Colorado and had to do some uh, like 25-point turns in that Shamrock to get back out. And he brought us six four-packs. Um, one of them, I think there was something up with the fermentation. It was a passion fruit beer. It was actually really delicious. We sampled one. But then the rest of them exploded. Hmm. Just randomly, 
Disco was upstairs and he heard this pop in the garage and he went downstairs and one of them was spraying all over the place. Weird. So he put it in the sink and the next day another one popped. So I think there was something with like they didn't cool it down enough or something because I think the fermentation process was maybe still going on and it created this crazy, you know, pressure inside. So are all of these beers from the Four Hands Brewing Company? There's also a bomber in there, There's which is not from Four Hands, uh-huh. and I can't remember. We'll have so to see four, as we go. So Four Hands is from St. Louis, I believe, and so far I believe John and Mags have sampled an oatmeal stout. Cast iron oatmeals. Brown. Do you guys have anything to add about your cast iron oatmeal stout? Well, according to this, appears well the hearty stew. Uh-huh. John? Emin- eminently drinkable. Fantastic. It's a good brown. It's hearty. It's It's... Good for the fall. And I have some sort of a more mellow beer. I'm not sure what it is, but it does say that it's good with spicy food and poultry on the side. Fantastic. It's a Four Hands Brewery in a yellow can. What's that one called? The Thousand Hands? It's called the Contact High. The Contact High. And then we also have the Send Help, uh, which is an ale brewed with Pacific Northwest hops. I really regret to our listeners tonight that the Four Hands Brewery doesn't really have all that much text on their cans that I can read to you tonight. Yeah, but our listeners don't regret it. (laughs) They're actually stoked that you're not going to read the cans this time. Could be. Maybe you can get a job working for them as their... As their canologist. Canologist, yeah. yeah. And put some text on those cans so people like me could read them on podcasts. Should we uh, get into it? All right. All right, the trail. It just seems weird. I thought the vacuum tube. I know, and it's, but we'll we'll make do. So Everest tighter climbing restrictions. Oh, yes, they're going to make it so if you're too old by their definition or too young, you can't do it. Really, I think that it, the the restriction should be about the poop bags. You should have to bring a certain amount of poop back, and if you don't, big money. I, I think they're trying that. That was one of our news items last what, year. What's the age limits, Mags? You know, it's not set in stone yet. It's just being discussed. So this probably rules out the YKT and the OKT. No, they could, there still can be a YKT. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're going to have an age limit on both ends. I know. That rules out the YKT, the youngest known time. And for people with health issues, apparently. Yeah. So, John, are you familiar with this phenomena in the modern hiking world of the known times? Yes, I am familiar with it. I, I try to push the eject button on the whole concept. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. Long distance high five, man. <laughs> Yeah, I think I, boring. I, what term did I use last month? FKTs are crap. You know, boring is crap. That's what I said. Yeah, we actually did have some questions last month, and we gave some advice to hikers about how to achieve a fastest known time. Yeah, I, I think stuff. they're you know, if you want to do it, great, but it gets to be the same after a while. I and mean, what about the slowest known time? I, you know, that appeals to me. That's probably me. No, there's actually a guy who oh. set the record for the slowest time on a through hike on the AT. Odie Coyote. I would say Odie Coyote. Yeah. yeah. 247 days, I think. He coined the original slack packing. Before it got corrupted. True story. A little trail history for our listeners. I met him. Wow. I met him when I hiked the AT. Really? Yeah, in Virginia. Was he, he, he was still out there? Yeah, he was, he was not moving quickly. He wanted, <laughs> he wanted to know if I wanted to drop acid. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on. So another... I like that. What is with people in selfies this past year or two? There are more peop- people in Essence Park right near the visitor center, so not quite in the park officially, Rocky Mountain, posing with elk. And the elk are getting aggressive and not liking it, and fines were levied. So it's just this phenomenon. You know, it seems like smartphones are making people stupider. Well, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I think it just draws out and highlights the stupidity. 
I know, but it makes a nice tagline, though, doesn't it? It's true. Sm- smartphones are making people. It's true. Too. It sounds good. It sounds. It's a good sound bite. So we should throw those people out in the wild. A little, little Darwinism for you. Yeah, you could do your duck face in front of the elk. I guess it's the rage nowadays. <laughs> so th- this one's actually very sad. Uh, the Land and Water Conservation Fund has yes. been at sunset on that, mainly because of one representative, Bob Bishop, out of Utah. This has mainly had um, bipartisan support, a lot of different outdoor groups from different political spectrums. So whether you're Sierra Clubbers or your hunting and fishing groups are really supporting this. And this is millions of dollars towards the outdoor fund. And was it a tax? It was making money off offshore drilling, and the idea was if we're going to publicly subsidize you so you can drill, you should kick some money back to us to help support the public lands. Well, it's now sunset, so we're even subsidizing these people more. So I think why did this uh, representative from Utah object to it, and why was he the one who was able to uh, sunset that? Well, it's already sunset, but he Uh squashed any discussion about continuing it. Basically, well, he's a Republican from Utah, a very energy-rich state. Mm And a lot of do- donations to his campaigns were from energy interests. Hmm. So, draw your own conclusions, unfortunately. And it was up $900 million over the years was raised for this fund. Um, not all the money went to it, but that's another discussion itself. But it mainly was used by inholdings in the national parks. So, that's kind of gone away. A lot of wildlife refuge were rehabilitated through these funds, for example. Mm-hmm. So, that's a major source of funding for all kinds of wild areas that's disappeared essentially yay (laughs) (laughs) which brings us to another news item (laughs) so the sagebrush grouse um, has lost endangered uh, wildlife status hey but you know what the good news about that is they'll be able to frack more out on the plains yes yeah yes i sure it's no coincidence that one of the major habitats of sagebrush grouse also happens to be some of the energy rich areas in the country well i say that's great for keeping the price of oil low mags there you go. And, and Sally Jewell, who, you know, former um, CEO of REI, of course. But you know where she started her career? Oil companies. Yeah. True story. Really? Yeah, seriously. Huh, she was know. an engineer for oil companies. So, what does Sally Jewell have to do with the uh, lapse of the Endangered Species Act for the sage grouse? She's head of the Department of Interior. Ah. Yes. Fantastic. So, everyone says, oh, you know, REI CEO. But REI is still, it's a corporation. And, well, uh, hell yeah, go in there sometime. Co-op my my ass, but in any case, oh, I'm getting political, aren't I? Yeah, yeah. Just get a off that bit. soapbox. There you it's go. It's lonely up there. A little bit, a little bit of grumpster over there. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it just makes me very sad seeing the wild lands becoming even more publicly subsidized to be pillaged. Anyway, that's all the news. That's it. Oh, that's all the news that's fit to report? Do you have any good news? Yeah, I was waiting for some happy stuff. I know, I usually end on a high yeah, note. I, I try to end it on a silly note. There's no bit, no propane genes burning. I've got, I've got some good news. You have some good news. There was a general election uh, two weekends ago in outside of Portland at the base of Mount Hood for all the West. Oh. And I'm excited to announce that Whitney Allgood LaRufa and Snorkel... Elizabeth Snorkel Thomas are going to remain president and vice president of that organization. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, cue go. the laugh track or the clapping track. Yay! Woo! And that's just you and I. Uh, yeah, that's not really a clapping track, people, because we All have right. no sound effects. I, w- I was cheering. You were cheering. Before we move on away from the the complete news, I think you should talk. We should talk about the Michelob Ultra thing because it's kind of. I, wanna, I need so, to hear about this controversy. Oh, so there, tell me about the controversy. There's a lighthearted news. There we go. So the serious part first. So say what you want about the beer. You don't have to drink it. But Mick Ultra is doing a contest where the top two 
trail or trail organizations get a $25,000 grant. And we have the details on our Facebook page. You can vote for anything from uh, a little trail here in Denver all the way to the Constant Levi Trail to the Florida Trail, the Ice Age Trail. Just vote for the trail you want, and the top two organizations get twenty-five k. And you can vote every day from now until October 30th. And here's the lighthearted news slash controversy. So Florida Trail, home of the, the Hanging Chads, I want to remind our listeners back in 2000, you know, they were going neck and neck with the CDT and uh, the Ice Age Trail not far behind. All of a sudden... They were 7,000 votes ahead out of nowhere. Yeah, like overnight. It was really funny. Then all of a sudden, there was they were down in third place. With a disclaimer now, when you vote, that your email is going to be verified to count as a vote. Yeah, I think. Yeah, mm, I noticed I, that. I, I'm not saying anything. All I know is the Florida Trail's in third place, and they were ahead by 7,000 votes. Before they were verifying the emails. Yeah, they changed it so you have to do the verification thing. Yeah. And, and that trail section, this is actually great yeah. that you're here, uh, M. John, because that trail section is going to be built near Silver City, is it not? Yes. That they're talking about using that money for? Yes, that's what they're talking about, to build a connector trail from the CDT to town. Oh wow! Oh, cool. On a really? on a section of from a section of CDT that does not yet exist. Right. So it's it's pretty tough to to get the trail completed down there. But that's yeah. that's the goal. We we are the first official gateway community. Yes, I know that's very exciting. We we were down at that the CDT kickoff this year and celebrating there it was great. Has life changed in Silver City now that you're a, a the first official gateway community? Definitely, the the Silver City is becoming more of an outdoor town. Ooh. Oh, nice! And you're seeing, uh, I would I was going to use the word infested, but I won't. Um, <laughs> we are seeing many more late model outbacks with roof racks on them, <laughs> where it used to be beater pickup trucks with fenders hanging off, and the CDT I think is 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 being part of that. Um, we we have big gaps in it, so it's not like people are hiking on the CDT a lot. Right, right. So it's, uh, but anyway, I think it is it is now part of our dialogue. We have an official sign coming into town. Oh, wow. very nice! And nobody has nobody's tagged it yet. Oh, that's cool! Wow, no one, <laughs> no one shot it either for target practice. No, or? but that day will be coming. Do they yes. still have the UN free zone signs down there? Oh yeah. All right, but yeah. I saw more of those down near uh, Hachita. Yeah, you're getting into the end of the world down there. Yeah, pretty much. Do you, are you finding also that there is an influx of people from the front range of Colorado, perhaps uh, Boulder in particular, moving to Silver City? And, and if so, how do you feel about those people? I love people from Boulder, Colorado. The insinuation that I would have a different opinion than that offends me. <laughs> um, no, we, we're still too rough around the yeah. edges for, yeah. for Boulder people. Uh, yeah. yeah, They might come down and... There's no REI. No REI, but we have a very nice gear shop, and, uh-huh. we, and we have a couple of foodie restaurants, official oh. foodie restaurants. No. But you know what? You yeah. know what I love? So I went to, Sil- the first time I went to Silver City was back in, um, gosh, I want to say 2004, I think. I went there over Christmas with my dog, and we went and hiked in the Gila and stuff. And uh, I don't know why I, I chose that, but I, I needed to get away from a situation in, in here in Colorado, and so I went very far. And... Um, I was down there for about a week, and I was in Silver City, and um, I loved it from the first time I was in there. And um, one of the things that I love about Silver City, and this is something I always bag on Boulder people about, is that Silver City has a food co-op. 
And Boulder, home of the self-proclaimed, you know, organic and this and that and the other thing, they cannot keep a food co-op going here. You know, it's just, I don't know, it blows my mind because Silver City's, I would say at least when I was there, it was, I would call it a slightly depressed area and rough around the edges and all that. But I was like, man, they got a food co-op here. That's so awesome. Yeah, since 1974, I am a legacy member. Wow. I don't have to pay the whatever it is, $10 a year and... It started out in the back of a guy's house, a bunch of hippies slicing big slabs of cheese and putting buckwheat groats into plastic bags and such. Yeah. And yet we do have the co-op. It's it's what the world would be like if hippies ran the world. Yeah, for sure. Good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, it's it's, true. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. D'Lo, your thoughts on that? Um, I, you know, I think it's pretty interesting that the city of Boulder can't keep a, uh, a food co-op open, but it's not surprising. I mean, you've got so many high-end, super fancy uh, grocery stores with, uh, you know, ambient down-tempo music playing as soon as you go in there. <laughs> and it's just, you know, that's not, you know, you walk into the food co-op and they've got, you know, 1970s Grateful Dead going and there's a bunch of people that really smell. And, you know, I think it's not what the people in this city want to, where they want to spend their money. It's yeah. a social gathering place yeah, in Silver sure. City. Very yeah. m- but don't forget your bag. Whatever you do, the wrath of self-righteousness will rain down upon you <laughs> if you forget your bag. I mean, I've had stuff stacked on my head like a Guatemala lady walking down the road to avoid telling them that I forgot my bag. Yeah. That definitely won't happen here. Yeah, Boulder's just, just buy a new one. Yeah, ten, 20 cents, 10 cents, yeah. 5 cents, whatever it is. Well, I was say Boulder is self-righteous about other things. So. Yeah. So... We have some uh, some technical things that we need to uh, get into before Wait, we get to trail the month. Did we did we get into the Michelob Ultra trails? Yeah, and, and yeah. Did we explain what this what happened? Yeah. yeah. Did we? Yeah. Florida Trail was rigging votes. Is it yes. true? Oh, we don't know for sure. Okay, we don't know for sure. But basically, the Florida Trail had one day they were four thousand votes above seven seven thousand votes above the CDT. And, and the next day they're in third place. Well, yeah. once they started verifying emails, yeah. Then they drop down to third place. Yeah, that's all we're saying. So before we go to break, I was thinking, Mags, do you want to do the winner of the Mags Challenge now? Uh, if we want to. Do we want to do that now? Let's do the Mags Challenge now. So for those who forget the whole Mags Challenge thing was about. Wait. Three, two, one. So this was coined by our absent friend, Disco. We were, we're announcing some of the trail work I did, and I say it'd be nice if all our listeners did one day of trail work between, what was it, July and National Public Lands Day. So we made a contest out of it. We we're going to give away a coveted trail show trucker's hat, <gasps> some Gossamer Gear swag, <gasps> the nice, some stickers, I believe, and I don't yeah. even know. It's just a plethora stuff. Wow. Yeah, plus stuff that you can't buy at REI, ladies and gentlemen. Delos chest hair clippings <laughs> saved up in a plastic bag from the past 3 years. It's a good fire starter. We have some little turds in the, you know, guinea pig here. You know. <laughs> coming your way, listeners, coming your way from Charlie the guinea pig. Everyone, Charlie the guinea pig. <laughs> Where's our laugh track? Come on, can't man. Can't do it. So, <sighs> being sir, there's some fantastic entries. Um really, thank you so much for all the trail work cuz Unless people give back to the trails, especially some sweat equity, it's really hard to maintain it. It really depends on volunteer work. So thank you. So we decided to go three winners, and we're going to announce them from third place to first place. And Ooh. I, I think we're all in pretty much in agreement on the winners. Is yeah, there wasn't I think much so. discussion. Okay, so the first winner is Chris Freefall Sanderson. Freef. Um, yes. Oh, we saw him at the gathering. Good guy. 
Um, I think he had a fantastic photo. It was him with his hard hat on. I said, you know, Chris S. Freefall, and they were in the rain. Everyone was smiling, and it was just showed that really good Pacific Northwest feel. And people were on the PCT, you could see the mud, and I think it was great. Yeah, it was a good photo. I thought that was a fantastic photo. I loved it. I don't know what the third place award is. I think this goes in charge of that. Yeah, we'll contact the listeners and yeah. see see what they want. Oh, is there an email address? Or I thought the third place award was my chest hair and uh, guinea pig turds. <laughs> It is. Don't give it away. <laughs> Chris Freefall Sanderson. No, coming we'll, your way. We'll but, contact them via their email or private message them. And I'll be sure and get you my chest hair bag and uh, some guinea pig right. turds. That's good. Fantastic. <laughs> the second place winner was a North Cascades hiker. Uh, he definitely appealed to our love of beer. So, hey, bribery always works. He had a great set of pictures of him doing trail work in the Pacific Crest Trail featuring Pat's Backcountry Beer. Wow. So, you know, combining two great things, the outdoors and beer, and, of course, giving back with trail work. So good job, North Cascades Hiker. But our first place winner, now we have to do some simulated drum roll here. Because we're not doing sound effects. That's right. And this, so boring without sound effects. I know. So boring, man. I, I don't know if people are going to like this trail show without this. Sound so th- they had some fantastic photos at Instagram and a video. They were doing high-altitude privy maintenance in the Sierra. I mean, come on. People that are working on the, the poopers. At high altitude. Then they went hiking for 500 more miles. Yeah, that's awesome. And I thought that was so cool. And it's Dr. Dre Hikes. Is the Dr. Instagram, Dre. Is the Instagram handle. What a great trail name. Yes. So, and, sorry, go ahead. No, please, after you. I was just going to say, we'll be contacting the winners. Congratulations. And what we're going to do is we're going to do top-down. So we're going to contact Dr. Dre and see of the three options, the trucker hat, the backpack, or Dilo's chest hair and Charlie's turds, Charlie's turds, (laughs) which one of those he wants as his prize. And then we'll contact the second-place winner and then the third-place winner. And if you – as a – Oh, you know, we have a fourth place we never announced, but we also have some old kitty litter we can give away. Oh, very nice. (laughs) Wow, Max, that's really amazing. (laughs) Old kitty litter mailed to you via the USPS to your doorstep. So so thank you to everybody who participated because everyone who participated was doing trail work. So that's great. And congrats to our winners. Thanks, everybody. All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Copper Canyon. hikers with smiles you can trust it's the trail show all right and we're back we are going to discuss our trail of the month with which is the copper canyon and um before we get into talking about that with m john fahey who's done some extensive travel in that area i had the chance to sit down with trauma who hiked back in fall of 2013 with cam swami honan 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 and um let's take a listen to the interview that i did with him Hello? Hi, Trauma. This is the Princess of Darkness from the Trail Show. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I am great. Uh, Thanks so much for talking to us. We wanted to uh, ask you some questions about your Copper Canyon hike that you did with Swami, because we're talking about that trail on our next show. So uh, can you tell us exactly, first of all, when did you do the Copper Canyon hike? 
Not last fall, but the fall before. 20, uh, that would be... 2014? 2013, maybe. Oh, 2013. Okay. Wow. And... Uh, Give us a little bit of basic information about the Copper Canyon Trail. Like, I mean, I know it's probably mostly a route, but is there, you know, a semblance of a start and a finish and total length and that kind of thing? Yeah, as you love, it's the uh, route kind of hike, you know, as all you folks at the trail show really enjoy. Of course. Um, So it kind of varies. It's definitely a choose-your-own-adventure-style hike. Um I'd say we probably did 600 or 700 miles. Oh, um, okay. It's hard to tell exactly. I right. mean, we're just basically measuring uh, off the distances on the map, and the maps aren't, um, you know, that detailed of a scale either. So it's hard to know exact accuracy, but um, somewhere in there at times, you know, and then also trying to calculate distance based on kind of uh, – your speed also right. knowing how many miles you can walk and but that's also got a little margin for error sometimes you're moving a quarter mile an hour and other times you're you know moving three to four miles an hour so it's hard to tell exactly and where did where did you guys start and finish um we started um at the little town of uh the pronunciations are a little difficult, but um, there's a national park there. There's a waterfall there, Basayachi uh, uh, Falls. I might be adding a syllable there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with the area, so I can't correct you. Yeah, help me out here. <laughs> it's a big uh, waterfall. It's it's awesome. And then right, basically a few miles in, there's another waterfall, which I think is the... Uh, tallest waterfall in uh mexico actually okay yeah. and that's kind of the the northern extension of the copper canyon region um it's not one canyon it's a, a system of canyons and uh then we finished at the um it's called the cumbres de Simferosa. it's near the town of uh, so essentially going north to south with a very convoluted route yeah. in between what was the name of that southern town Wachochi. Wachochi. Okay. And so just curious, um, that's kind of a really off the, off the map trail as far as like on people's radars. How did you decide to go and do that trek with Swami? I was thinking of places to go and that was always on my list of kind of places to see. And what I like doing is, um, trying to connect trails that are there with cross country and trying to kind of make a route. And it worked out that Swami was uh, thinking about going at the same time. And he'd been to the region a few times before and done a couple of the canyons or portions of the canyons. But then uh, we started brainstorming on trying to connect all the canyons into one, one trip. Right. And, And he speaks Spanish. So that's a big help. Yeah, he speaks Spanish. I, I used to speak Spanish. I'm getting rusty now, but mm-hmm. um, can understand it pretty well. So. And so you were going through a whole series of canyons. What was the terrain like? You know, I mean, how much of it do you think was on trail and off trail? And, you know, compared to, say, the Sierra High Route or, you know, those types of scrambles, what would you estimate the difficulty level? 
there was probably it's hard to say I'd, I'd maybe estimate 20 or 30 percent actually on trail maybe another 20 or 30 percent cross country or in the bottom of washes you know that type of thing bottom of canyons um probably about another 20 or 30 percent on um dirt roads oh okay and then you know a small percentage on paved roads or something like that okay and i mean assuming that you and swami are probably hiking two to three times faster than your average hiker what how many days was your longest carry i think we carried for maybe eight to ten days in one stretch oh wow and what was the average carry like probably five days or so okay yeah the trails it's interesting because um you know as mexico's sort of developing uh economy they're also trying to put roads into some of these places right um so the locals in the region had um hiked or run a lot more as uh in the book born to run right and now they're uh kind of migrating towards the cities or the larger towns because it's easier to live and the government's trying to put roads into some of these towns um so it's kind of the the uh trade-off you tend to see with development is um you know losing a little bit of culture versus um making life easier you know, right. losing some trails that we could use for hiking versus putting, you know, roads and making the regions a little more accessible. And I'm curious, you know, as somebody who has lived in different parts of Mexico myself, people often refer to the western part of the United States as the Wild West, sometimes Montana and Wyoming. But um, I, I know I've traveled through places in Mexico where it feels very lawless, not in the sense that there's a lot of crime going on, but there's a lot of unique danger just from the, the sense of isolation and um, corrupt, you know, systems because of poverty. And so I was just curious uh, what your experience was with that. You know, did you have any run-ins with the sketchy people or the law or any illegal activity? And did you feel safe most of the time? Yeah, I think most of the time we felt um, generally uh, the Local people are very friendly and hospitable and, um, you know, they might not even have a restaurant in a small little town with uh, huts, but if you asked if they could cook you a meal, you know, you go buy a meal from them and they would invite you in. So generally, you know, I mean, that was an overwhelming feeling was how how friendly everybody was. But every now and again, a reminder of the, you know, the dangers in the area would would come up. Uh, We had a couple calls with where just a random guy came up with a bag of uh pot trying to give up basically give us a full shopping bag of pot um <laughs> where's Dilo when you need him <laughs> and then um another point we were actually on a little roadwalk and a backpack or something must have flown out of the back of a pickup truck and there was um you know nuggets of pot scattered all along the side of the road whoa <laughs> you know we would definitely walk on some of these um agricultural fields uh in the back country every now and again when it when it started feeling a little sketchier was when uh noticed that they were uh poppies and not just marijuana right it's a little higher so, stakes yeah and i mean that's definitely a little um tense and we would just try to yell out and make our presence known like as we were approaching these 
these fields so that we wouldn't surprise anybody. And did because... you yell? Did you yell "Hey, bear!" when you were walking through? Pretty much. We just put our bear bells on. We figured that would do it. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, if it, uh, some bear spray and bear bell should take care of a guy with the AK forty-seven. Of right? course, of course. Yeah. So no, we pretty much just kept yelling out "Hola, Buenos Dias" over and over again. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but I mean, it is a little disconcerting. But generally, we the farmers were were nice. I mean, we never actually had an issue. Right. Kid, I mean, a few times we had to ask for directions. It was a little scary. But um, they're just doing their job. Like if they weren't farming poppies or marijuana, they'd be farming corn. Right. And of course. They're just trying to make their living. I think it's the guys above them that that are probably even more dangerous. Right. Los narcos. Yeah, the guys that are actually trafficking the drugs, yeah, and, you know, so yeah, um, I don't and, know, and yeah, but there are random guys. It always seems strange when there are random people in town just carrying AK forty seven right. around. <laughs> yeah, that happens all over Mexico, actually. Bus stations, all kinds of stuff like that. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, so that's always a little disconcerting. <laughs> had you had you done other hiking in South America, Central America before? Uh, a little bit, not long hikes, but, okay. um, you know, a couple of week long trips or weekend things, shorter trips down there. And do you, do you feel that the, the route that you guys did requires specific technical skills? Yeah, I'd actually say that, um, there was probably some maybe class three plus scrambling. Okay. Um, that's probably about it. Uh, there was definitely some class three plus bushwhacking. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, the the uh, plants aren't very friendly since it's a desert, right. you know, so they're spiny. Um, but maybe low class four in a couple places. But um, and then uh, river fords could could be challenging depending on the mm. the kind of the season. We had a wet fall, so we we were going to go about a month earlier, but originally but they were having a, a very wet monsoon season so we pushed it back about a month and um in a few places we still kind of had to change our route on the fly because of uh, high water so it sounds like this is probably either a spring or fall type of hike yeah it can get very hot between rim to canyon or canyon bottom you're talking generally like five to six thousand feet difference so wow. similar to the grand canyon in that scale so think about that too it could be there could be snow on the north rim and like 100 right. degrees at the bottom summer it's going to be hot and humid at the bottom I mean, bananas are growing at the bottom wow that's crazy um, but then again i mean you don't want to show up during like the poppy harvest or the you know <laughs> weed harvest you know because that could be a little troublesome that's for sure i think that we that month we pushed it back was actually kind of ideal because uh, a lot of places they'd just done that their harvest. Yeah. So that was kind of nice. And I wanted to ask, so Swami is fluent in Spanish and um, sounds like you have a little bit of Spanish proficiency. Uh, I was just curious what your thoughts are. If you think your average person with no Spanish skills, do you think that this is a, a doable experience for them? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, generally, the people are fr very friendly and hospitable, so I don't think it's a, an issue. I mean, in the rural areas, people definitely aren't 
aren't speaking English that much, but you know, it's not anything you can you can't get around. Basically. Right, of course. So, and did you actually practice your Spanish with the locals, or did you let Swami do all the talking? He did most of the talking. I did most of the listening. Yeah, I mean, he he likes to talk, so that's okay. He does talk a bit more than me. I'll put it that way. <laughs> um, yeah. Any super uh, like incredible or memorable uh, standouts from the the Copper Canyon hike? Yeah, they're they're just um, awesome people. Um, I think that's kind of the key of the trip. I mean, the scenery was was beautiful. Some of these waterfalls and places uh, you see really remote places. Um, which was awesome. One of the um, interesting stories, like I was alluding to before, was we we got a little lost. We were in this really steep drainage trying to get down to the bottom of the Sinferosa Canyon. And we got a little lost and just started, well, there wasn't, there was kind of a goat track and then we lost it. And we ended up on this really steep uh, hillside bushwhacking kind of. And we started slipping down because it was a little grass covered and trying to grab onto trees so we didn't slide and then we decided to turn around but we had just passed this drug field with the poppies so we were like we don't really want to turn around because we're going to end up back in this guy's drug field right (laughs) (laughs) but we're stuck on this steep hillside and we can't figure out how to get down because there's no way down because it's basically cliffed out everywhere so we're like, it's getting dark too. So finally we're like, oh crap, I guess we got to turn around and at least we could ask him for directions. He had told us that there was this little trail that went, right. you know, over this way and whatever when we first met him. But not then we were like, well, we don't want to see him again because who knows he's going to think we're coming back on this drug field. Anyway, and then it was getting dark too. So we didn't really want to have to camp with the, the drug farmer. Right. Basically. Yeah. So we start going back, and then we we find another goat track, and we're like, oh, maybe that's it. So we take that, and it's starting to get really dark, and it's really steep, nowhere to camp. And we're about to have to turn around and go camp with the drug guy. And finally, this, this goes through this really steep section on, like, this little ledge, and it wraps around the corner. And then it opens up, and there's this waterfall pouring off into this, like, idyllic pool with like a one flat spot oh my god kind of just enough for us to camp and and we're like away from the drug guy and it was it was perfect and it's getting dark and it was like oh that's awesome yeah dodge the bullet there <laughs> yep where did you guys get maps and, and intel about this hike we got maps from the mexico kind of you know do you like kind of like their usgs okay um it's called Inegi. Um, I actually have all the maps, so if anybody's interested, they could contact me. Okay. Um, maybe I could get a copy. I think maybe I could uh, doctor them up and perhaps I could start selling them. Yeah, you could do that. That would be actually pretty helpful for the hiking community. Yeah, I bet. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, um, well, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have that many more questions um, about the hike itself unless you have anything that you wanted to add here at the end. Yeah. Your good food here in Mexico, oh, yeah. fresh fresh tortillas. All uh, you know, every time you're in town. Oh yeah, that's about that. That's the bomb right there. <laughs> yep, I miss and that. Food, food's cheap, you know. It's easy, cheap. So, um, 
resupplies aren't bad. That's kind of how we planned our route is so that it would make our resupplies a bit easier. Did you go into towns or municipalities or whatever? Yeah, we went, uh, basically we made it all so that they were all walkthroughs. That's great. Especially in an area where people are growing poppies. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But I don't think hitching is too much of a problem in the area if you need to because, um, uh, because the locals are doing it all the time. Yeah, of course. Of course. Well, well, cool. Um, thanks so much for, for sharing your experience with us. And, um, I guess we'll look forward to hearing about the next one. You just recently put a book out, correct? Yep, correct. What's the name of your book that you just put out? Short Stories from Long Trails. Short Stories from Long Trails by Justin Trauma Lichter. Is that your name on the cover? Uh, just Justin Lichter, but okay. that works too. Okay, well, <laughs> we'll look forward to getting copies of that at the trail show so we can review it. I'm sure they're already en route. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, happy trails to you, and uh, we'll talk to you on your next next adventure. All right, great. Thank you. Hasta. All right, so that was Trauma on his 2013 fall hike. Uh, MJ, I'm curious, uh, you know, now you've had the chance to listen to Trauma talk a little bit about his experiences, and, and uh, you know, how does that compare with your experiences, and, and what areas have you explored, and, you know, let's, let's dive in. Well, I've been I've I've covered a lot of ground in Copper Canyon, and as he indicated in his in his interview with you, judging distances is well nigh impossible. Probably I've done about two thousand miles of hiking down there. Wow! And yeah, I've done a lot. I've I've, I've stayed there for months at a time, um, doing hiking trips, and I I became familiar with the area in uh, nineteen eighty three. I was heading to Central America. And I had heard from somebody in New Mexico about this system of canyons. So we decided to take this lark side trip. Little did I know the effect on the rest of my life that side trip would have. There's three possessions that I've had in my life that I no longer have that I would kill to have them back. And one of them is this. We were, back, we were hiking out of the town of Creel, which is the main train station town in Copper Canyon. C-R-E-E-L, Creel. And a gringo in a battered pickup truck drove by, and he was just completely gobsmacked to see us. (laughs) And he said, who are you, and what are you doing here? And we told him, and we asked him something to the effect of, are there any cool places around here? And he just sort of shook his head, and he hand-drew us a map to a place called Rikawata Hot Springs, which is every hotel down there now takes people to Rikawata Hot Springs. And it was it was as you would expect with a hand drawn map, and we hiked and hiked, and it was hot, and it was it was God, we we were never going to find this place. And all of a sudden, we looked over a precipice, and there was this Tahiti turquoise blue pool, eight hundred vertical feet down. And by God, it was Rikawata Hot Springs. And we stayed there for a few days. And one of the things that changed my life, sort of, was that we hiked down down Rikawata Hot Springs is in the bottom of, of Tararequa Canyon. Uh, the Rio San Ignacio. We hiked down a few hours with the ex- full expectation of running into the Rio Urique, the main river in the whole Copper Canyon system. It had to be around the next bend, the next bend. And finally, because we left our gear unattended up upstream, we turned around. And the next year, I went back down saying, by gollies, I'm going to find the Rio Urique. My baddest-ass hiking partner of my life and I, it took us six solid days 
with our clothing tattered by the time we found the real Enrique. Wow. And that really made me understand what I was dealing with at that point. And I, I ended up over the course of 10 or 12 years going down there, I think, 31 times. Wow. Yeah. I was actually guiding trips down there for a while. It made me really understand that I was not put on this earth to guide trips. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, but, but anyway, anyway so I, I've hiked on, and I've done two books on the area, too. Actually, my first book was out of there. And I did a cover story for Backpacker Magazine on Copper Canyon, too. And... Uh, it made me really realize that you, you go straight to hell if you write a guidebook. Um, but anyway, I, I agree with a lot of his observations. What, be, before we get into yeah. his interview a little bit more, what are the names of the books that you wrote? Mexico's Copper Canyon Country, Volume 1, and Mexico's Copper Canyon Country, okay. Volume Because two. I actually asked him outside of that interview, I yeah. was asking him about it, and he said... He was like, you know, I think that we probably looked at those books, actually, before we went down there. So, Well, in 1994, I made the decision to take them out of print. Oh, okay. I, I just, I, I began, it was early enough in, in this evolution toward guidebooking everything to, into a catatonic stupor that I, that I complete ignorance. I mean, I think justifiably so, the, the effect that guidebooks have on cultures and trails and stuff, mm-hmm. which I think is overwhelmingly negative. And by 1994, I looked at looked at what was happening in Copper Canyon, the increase in tourism, the effect on the Tarahumara Indian culture, which a lot of people disagree with me on this, by the way. So, so it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm in, in a unanimous opinion here. But I decided to take that book out of print. So that was a long time ago. That was over 20 years ago that I took that book out of print. Now, do you think, I mean, I don't know when your most recent trip was down there, but do you... Three years ago. Three years ago. Yeah. Do you think that there's a significant increased... Uh, impact from hiking, or do you think it's it's more of the the auto tourism? Overwhelmingly, the latter. Okay. Um, there, there's no doubt. His observation, trauma. You said his name was yeah. trauma. Yeah. Yeah. His observation about the depopulation of the interior toward the cities is a very accurate observation, and one of the results of that is that this astounding trail system, which is reminiscent of the Inca trails mm-hmm. and and the, the the Nepali trails that have been used for who knows how long. Tarumars have been there for about 500 years. Um, these trails are starting to deteriorate rapidly. Ironically, they're starting to be brought back into decent condition by the narcos. Oh, so that's the, the he's he's right that they're putting more roads in, but a lot of these places are completely inaccessible by road. So they use pack trains, and so the trails are getting re-rebuilt by the evil Uzi bearers. Yeah. Uh. It's such a crazy, crazy world down there. It's, yeah, and uh, the pot's not even very good. That's what the weird yeah. thing is. It's well, I don't think the pot's the pot's not marketable anymore with with the you know the quasi legalization or just the full on legalization here in the USA. I mean, as, as to to Chama's point, you know the they're they're growing poppies because you know growing poppies and producing heroin is not legal in the USA. Some might argue that it should be. Um, but it's not, and as a result, they grow it where they can because it's a lot more profitable than growing corn. I think it's more difficult to grow um, the poppies, but I'm not an agricultural expert on that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, me so, neither. Yeah. Poppies grow around here. Not those kind of poppies. I think that... Are they there, are? Have you munched on any of them? I haven't munched on any of them, but poppies do grow here in the springtime. Uh-huh. You have a nice knowledge of what drug plants will grow. When well, I just... I don't know about... You know, to, to M. John's point here, I don't know if there's... I'm, I don't know enough about uh, poppies to know whether there are, they all produce, um, you know, opium in their seed pods, but 
I know that poppies grow prolifically in neighborhoods in the city of Boulder in the springtime. I don't know if they're, you know, I have to do a that little e- research. That, e- that explains a lot. Yes. <laughs> you know, one thing I heard from, uh, from Mr. Honan, the running culture is really losing a lot in the past few oh. years. He was there himself in the mid to late 90s, mm-hmm. and he was comparing and contrasting between when he did it with, with Justin in 2013 and when he was down there, you know, 15 plus years ago. Was the running culture just not there anymore? That's, people are getting more in the cities, and you know this once proud culture is just vanishing with each generation. Did you find that as well? Well, it's becoming it's like it's like Native American dance on a lot of reservations. It's becoming ceremonial. Oh, right. so so right. tourist buses will pull in. I was in Africa a couple of years ago, and the the local it's it's a pejorative to call the people that the short people pygmies, but I don't know what the alternative is. The pygmies would come out of the jungle to do all their drum beating and dancing, mm-hmm. and but it was it was just for the tourists. And and a lot of the races in in Copper Canyon, I think, are becoming ornamental. And oh, so it's not part of their daily life to get from point A to B. It's more throwing a big race and certainly not as much, especially because his point about road road systems coming in there. Um, but you know, yeah. their running was always ceremonial. It always had a ceremonial component, but it was okay. also a very practical component too. But I think it is. I think it is going. The youngsters are like the youngsters in Kansas. You know, they yeah. don't want us to. Yeah. They want to go to the city. They want to make money and get get things. I mean, that I don't know. I feel like that's kind of the way of things. You know. Yeah, there there are reverse migrations in some places. Italy's going through a reverse migration where people are moving back to the rural areas, and in the Mountain West, there's a lot right, of people moving sure. to places like Salida, Colorado. In Silver City, New Mexico. Well, that's right. So, or Montana, <laughs> or Montana. Maybe there, maybe there's hope. But the thing about the, you know, the, the the Tarahumara moved to Copper Canyon because the Spanish conquistadores were enslaving them. That wasn't oh. their first choice as a place to live. It's rough country, and so they 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 figured out a way to adapt. I've heard that over over like 270 plants that they actually use for various things, and I've actually eaten a few of the, them and. Given a choice of that or a nice, nice burrito up in town, I'll take the burrito. Um, plus, I think they messed with me a few times. Like, let's see if we can get John to eat this. We'll, just tell, him, we'll tell him it's a native food, and, and, and he'll pop it in his mouth. Um, but, but it is. It's being depeopled. But also, the ajito system is breaking down down there. The narcos are forcing tarahumaras to grow right. illegal crops. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's dysfunctional. The famous race, the, the Born to Run race, was canceled this year because of fears of narco-terrorism. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, it, it's good that you, it's great that you were able to get down there so many times, you know, unfortunately to see the change of things, but also to experience it, you know, kind of before it was, you know, so popular or well-known, I guess. Yeah, that, it's definitely among the, I mean, I've got a lot of backpacking experiences and the hiking I've done down there. And I have had a couple of scary situations down there that involve weaponry yeah. and, and pissed off people wondering why we were there. And some of the stories I've heard are horrific. Yeah, um, sure. That I trust, stories that I trust. Yeah. I mean, I was in Batopilas one time when a shootout occurred on the main street in Batopilas between the army and a couple of people who were trying to break their friends out of jail. And the only people that got hit with the weaponry was a grandmother and her grandson, eight years old. So you said what well, you use the term Wild West, and it is. Yeah, so. it is. It is in many ways. But it's cool, fun Wild West. I mean, yeah. if, you're, if you're comfortable with that stuff and you, and you seek it out, it's well, cool. Yeah. And I would just add that it is cool and fun if you're seeking it out, but there's also some, um, 
you know, I always think about these from the perspective of, of being a female. And I don't feel unsafe in the U.S. for any of the hiking that I've done. For the most part, I felt safe, whether by myself or with disco. But um, I definitely, I would never go to that kind of an area by myself or even with just other women. Because there are some inherent dangers for women in Mexico traveling alone or just with other women that just don't exist for men. Yeah, I, I think you're wise yeah. to have that perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's, it runs counter to, you know, the, a right. lot of things we want to believe, but it's, it is... But that's the reality. It you is know? A, I mean, yeah. I want to be safe everywhere. I want to feel like I can go anywhere and then I, I should be safe, and I should. That's, yeah. that's, that's sure, but the reality is that that's not the case. You know exactly, and, exactly. And yeah. I, I would just say for for female hikers that are interested in, in traveling in that area, you really need to think about that because it is, it's no joke. You're not going to talk your way out of something, and um, it's a different different culture. The law know? is a long ways from there. Sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and the law the law down there is interesting. I've had some interactions. Mm-hmm. I did I did earn brownie points one time. I was driving, Helen gone, and ran into two. Mexico Federal Judicial Police, which are their equivalent of the FBI, supposedly, and they had run out of gas in the oh. middle of nowhere. And oh, jeez. What, what did I have on the top of my vehicle? A gas tank. A couple gas tanks. So I, I had the opportunity to save. They were very embarrassed. They were mortified. Mm-hmm. But they put the word out that we were okay. Oh, good. Yeah. So well, that that's was, great. Yeah, that hasn't happened very often in my life. No. So. <laughs> Um, is there anything else that do you guys have any other questions about this? Wait, how do you uh, how do you know where to? It sounds like nowadays it's a it's a fairly well known area. It's popular. You could go down there and book a vacation, stay at a hotel, and they'll drive you out to a canyon. You could hike to a hot springs and come back and eat dinner in town. So it sounds like nowadays it's um it's it, it's a typical kind of third world tourist destin adventure tourist destination. Um, but if you didn't want to do the typical third world tourist adventure tourist type of stuff, you know, the group tours and things, how do you find out about this place? Um, how do you, how do you know where to go and how do you know where you're going is safe and and, and things to that effect? It sounds simplistic to say that I I asked that same question in the States and in Europe and whenever other places it is, you ask the locals where, where cool places to go are and a lot of the hikes I've done in Copper Canyon, I've stood back on a canyon rim and said, wonder what it would take to get over there, which I suspect is what Trauma and his friend did too. Yeah. And, and so. So, that, so that is, and then when you get to the first little ranchito, a Tarahumara ranchito or a Mestizo ranchito, the first one you get to, at posing a couple of really generalized questions, you can say, is it pretty over there? <laughs> and if they say, no, it's it's feo, it's ugly. Feo covers a lot of ground that our word mm-hmm. ugly does not does not yeah, cover. Does. So if they say it's feo, that can mean a lot of different things. And generally, if you have two different people say it's it's feo over there, it's a little ugly, that's a good hint to maybe that's not the place you should go. <laughs> but the other thing is, I mean, I'm sure we all do it, and I'm sure a lot of listeners do it too. You stand back and you say, I wonder what's up that canyon. And and that's how I've done a lot of hiking there. The thing that is well known there is the mission sites, the old churches. Oh yeah. So so you can ask about where where's the next cool old sixteen forty adobe church, and people will know how to get to that, including the famous one, Satevo Mission, 
which is the inexplicable, nobody knows the true story about Satevo Mission near Batopilas. It's a three-domed adobe, almost cathedral in the middle of nowhere. Wow. And nobody really knows how it came about. It's hmm. it's this it's almost it's an almost Islamic type building. Wow. But its stories are dark. And I had a chance one time to go into the basement pulling the boards off the altar. It's been renovated now. It used to oh, be okay. used for a goat pen. Uh, and oh, I man. and uh, yeah, I've been up on the roof of it too. This that was I was not sober. Um <laughs> <laughs> and but somebody pulled up these old rotted boards behind the pulpit and said, do you want to go down there? And I said, no. <laughs> because it used to be the reputation was that the Padres back in the old days would impregnate the local Indians. And if, oh. they, got pre- if they got pregnant, they killed them. <gasps> because it couldn't get out that the, that the Padres had done such a terrible thing. And the rumors are that the, the impregnated local material was buried under the mission. Ooh. Ooh, that's I, really dark. Well, and it also might not be true. True, but uh, so, Mexicans but, do have a really great uh, knack for good stories. Yes, and that's and that's one of the things I love most about Mexican culture. So, I would advise people to go down there, but I would advise, as you have hinted, keep wits about you. Yeah, I've driven. I, I mainly drive down there when I go down there because it's eight hours from where I live in New Mexico. It takes it takes eight hours to get down there. And they've put in a whole new system of superhighways down there. So Mexico is soliciting tourist dollars big time. So their road system has improved. But go down there, drink tequila. Actually, drink mezcal. That's what you want to drink down there. So for people who live in the southwest, Arizona or New Mexico or even southern California, um, it sounds like this is a great place to maybe spend a week vacation. Instead of driving to some national park in the USA, you could drive down there and and you're in a different you're in a different world, but, but just don't don't look like you went there instead of a national park. Well, of course, because you're going to get yourself into trouble if you put on your national park. I'm visiting the national park clothes, <laughs> and then you drive down there. You know what I'm saying? Make sure you wear a sweatshirt that says, you know, my grandkids love their grandpa. Well, actually, that's yeah. a really good point. Yeah. Maybe maybe you don't want to go there. Maybe you do live in you know Orange County, California, and you fancy yourself a hiker, and you bought all your gear at REI, and you and your girlfriend have a Subaru Outback, and you. You're wondering whether we should go to, you know, Arizona and go hiking in the desert there, or maybe we should go to Copper Canyon. Um, do you go to Copper Canyon? And if not, why not? Well, and, and I, would, I would say that, you know, that's always up to people, their own choice. But there's a couple things that I want to mention. Number one, understand that the way uh, Spanish speakers give directions is very different than the way Americans give directions. So American uh, English discourse is very point A to point B, and Spanish discourse is very circular. So just know that when you get directions, you know, probably in a lot of these communities, there's no English speaker. So you're going to get directions in Spanish. Just know it's, you're going to have to think about that a little bit before you can just run out there because they're a little different than the way we're used to. Max. So saying Americans a broad term, you haven't been to New England recently, have you? They never give directions based on roads. It's you take a right where the old grocery store used to be. But that's still very point A to point B. Let me give you an example of how Fair it would enough. sound in Spanish. You're going to go up to where the old grocery store is. It's not there. Then you're going to keep going a little bit, and then you're going to go this way. So I don't know. It's, 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 it takes a little getting used to. I'll just say that. And the other thing is that for women, if you are thinking about going to this area of Mexico to go hiking, do not wear your little fancy spandex shorts that you bought at REI. You need to wear pants. You need to cover your body. 
I mean, one, it's rough hiking. And even if you're not going to be hiking, even if you're just going to be walking around, I'm telling you, um, I'm not one for physical modesty usually because I'm all about the non-sexual nudity. But uh, for women in, in Central, you know, parts of South America and Mexico, you really are uh, inviting uh, some some danger on yourself if you are not modest with your dress. So some baggy old khaki pants. Yeah, just borrow some clothes from D'Lo and Max. Wear yeah. those clothes. There you go. <laughs> so do you have any, any advice, P.O.D. and John, for our I would say John. Typical, typical Orange County, California, REI, you know, high rolling... Um, Subaru driving. Subaru driving people who want to take a road trip and say, let's go to Mexico. What's your advice for those people? Not that those people are necessarily listening tonight, <laughs> but I think <laughs> the advice that we give to those people would be helpful at a certain level to anybody who's listening and might want to just get in their car and drive to Mexico. Well, a lot of, a lot of it is... I mean, this sounds trite, but it, but it is attitude, the attitude that you bring with you. Yeah. And, and it has to be... A respect. Now, I lived for a very long time in Summit County, Colorado, which is only the biggest ski county in North America, tourism rich. And one of the things that my wife and I learned about living in Summit County was how to be a good tourist. And, and I think we would have been anyway. But um, the attitude that you bring with you to a place now, now some accidental thing can certainly fall out of the sky and ruin your trip. But the attitude that you bring with you certainly goes a long way. And, and it's really easy when you've got, you know, I hate to use this term, but a primitive culture. And, and to, to sort of look down, to want to yeah. give, give gifts, want to give candy to the children, to want to do this stuff. Man, don't do that crap. Just, you know, go down there and treat people the way you would treat somebody on the Pearl Street Mall. How do you treat people on the Pearl Street Mall? You, you, that's, that's a bad example because you put money into their guitar cases, don't you? Yeah, the buskers, little, little pieces buskers. of candy and stuff. Um, so, so oh, that, that certainly that's one thing. But the other thing that I, that I really advise people is hire a guide. Mm. First of all, that you know that puts money back into somebody's pocket. Most of the time, when you're a tourist, you put money into the pocket of whoever owns the hotel. Hiring a guide is is an interesting way to get to know folks. And the other thing is, they will take personal responsibility for your safety. That is another Latin American thing. That's, a, that's an honor-bound relationship at that point. If all of a sudden you're facing five Uzis, maybe that doesn't work out so well. But I, I have a guy um, who lives outside of Cusare, uh, Sauripa Gonzalez, which I, I recommend him to everybody because he knows what gringos want. Mm-hmm. And that is we want to see pretty views. Go we want to see springs. the ruins, hot springs, lots of hot springs down there. Drink some good tequila after your hike. And yes, everything. yes. And so, so, so finding somebody like that is, is I think, a real, especially for your first trip. I've had buddies who've gone down there with my books in hand and never to be heard from again. But who, but who, <laughs> but, but I think it's a stretch to call the books that I've written about that place guidebooks. They're more poetic travel logs. Oh, um, Jim Wolf style. It's, uh, yeah. Um, no, no, Jim's way better than I am oh, on okay. details. Yeah. Wow. Um, but uh, I've had buddies who've gone down there and cobbled together arduous routes. I mean, really impressive yeah. routes. And they've pulled it off. But that's what I would recommend. Hire a local guide. That's and, and really good advice. You can say that in Nepal. Yeah. You can say that in Africa. For yeah. sure. Anyway. That's super good advice. What I want to do, well, you've talked about not giving candy to children. Um, I, I've done some hiking in South America. It was about 10 years ago. 
Um, and I found when I, when I was up in Peru, I was, I was in Peru for about a month and a half, um, not so much in Argentina and Chile, but in, when I was in Peru, uh, the hiking was a little bit more rustic. You know, you really, you would find yourself on a trail that would come into town and I, and this was, you know, 10 years ago. So I think it was even less popular than it was now. Granted, I was just doing treks out of Lonely Planet guidebooks or things like that. But still, I was doing treks without guides, you know, through hiker style, because that's what I like to do. But I found that having some candy when I rolled into that town was one of the best things that I could have, that I could have in my pocket, because I rolled into town solo white dude. And it was just gringo, gringo, gringo. Take, you know, take my candy. Yeah, and <laughs> I, and it was a good thing I had pockets full of candy because those kids just loved my candy, and and I don't know, I just felt like giving those kids candy was a, it was kind of fun, and it seemed like they they were expecting it. Yes, they were expecting it, but it was also you know, what do you, so what do you it think? It was about maybe that? a connection that you could make. with Yeah, them. it was a connection I could make with the kids. You know, I I also talked. With, I was really good at Spanish then, so I would talk with the people and and things like that. But. uh I felt like giving those kids candy was was a good thing. Think about their dentition. You ruined all those teeth. It's just one yeah. piece of candy per child. Well, you know, 10 years ago, Peru, I mean, I was down there probably 14 or 15 years ago, and the Sendero situation had just ended. Oh. And, and so Peru had gone a long time, especially in the backcountry, without any tourism. So when hikers yeah. started showing up with their backpacks, these people didn't know what to do. I mean, it was an interesting thing. What is that? The Sendero, uh, Sendero Luminoso, man, the yeah, Shining Luminoso, Path. Yes, yeah, that yes. was, those were, they, and they were one of the entities that targeted tourists. Mm. That was one of their stated political goals was to kill the tourist industry by killing the tourists. They were mean people and they were serious business. So the Peruvians had a rough edge to them when the Senderos were finally finally beaten down. They basically the the, the country arrested the, the head dude is what it was. And that was, you know, that was interest in hiking times down in Peru. So the candy was probably the first they'd seen in years. <laughs> they probably still talk about you. Yeah, You're the candy probably. man. Probably. Yeah, because yeah, that was 2005 you went, right, Dilo? Yeah, but just to put some uh, context on all that, you know, I did this Circuito Alpamayo to Circuito Santa Cruz trek, and these are very popular hikes in uh, outside of Juarez up in the uh, Cordillera Blanca. And now, and they're in a national park, and I believe now, 10 years later, you need a guide to do these hikes. You need to hire somebody, yeah. which but, is good, which is great for the local economy. But for an experienced hiker, you're just kind of like, I don't really need a guide to do this. I have super good maps. I but, but the thing is, is, think about it this way, because when I did the, the Inca Trail, okay, that was before you had to hire a guide. And yeah. I went with two friends of mine who were riding their motorcycles from Michigan to Argentina, they're like, we're not hiring a guide. And if you want to hike with us, you're going to carry your own stuff. So that was my first backpacking trip. And what I saw was the, everyone else hired a guide, and they had these enormous packs. So the way enormous. I think about it now is that if you're in a situation where you're forced to hire a guide, just think how happy that person is that they got yeah. you. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. because you don't have a gigantic pack. You have your little backpack. They're like... Whoa! This is it? Are you kidding me? You know, and, like that's like that a vacation. Guy, yeah. that's and like that guy is probably like uh, pretty excited to have you as yes. their client because you can actually go hiking. You're it's not like, dying. It's like you a know? paid vacation for yeah. them. Well, the, the the Inca Trail now requires guides. Yeah, it does yep. now. Yeah, but most sure. of those guides are working for guiding services. Yeah. So that's the thing is, once again, the peons are getting the pennies while the people yeah, owning the guiding sure. services are making the money. We, we did it the same way as you. We carried our own packs, and my wife was looking at all these other people who had guy, uh, guides carrying their packs, yep. 
And she was looking at me like, why are we not doing that? <laughs> that was like three, $3 a day or something. Yeah, and so I cheap. said, honey, we are purists. I was on assignment for Backpacker Magazine doing a story oh, okay. on the Anchor Trail, and I said, we shall carry her, our own packs. And uh, she wasn't very happy about that. But Then the fighting started. But, you know, yeah. the thing is, that was my very first backpacking trip, and, and I, it was hard. It was really hard for me. And seeing all these girls, like, flitting up the trail with just a little water bottle, and I was like, what? But... <laughs> When we finally got to to, to um, Machu Picchu, I felt incredible because I felt yeah. like, hey, I carry my own stuff here, you know? Like, you, you, your hair looks nice, but you didn't carry any of your own crap up this hill, you know? So, I don't know. That's, I, what, that's what I was saying to my wife the whole yeah. time. And then she was calling, calling bullshit on that, so... <laughs> Well, we, we've uh, we've got we've derailed a little bit from the yeah. from the copper, but that's all right because no, I, I think, think these are good I, issues good to talk discussion. about. I yeah. wasn't, that wasn't really derailed. I think all these things are really important when you're considering going to region like For the sure. Copper Canyon because sure. it's off the beaten path. Yes, there may be adventure tourism and fancy hotels nowadays with Wi-Fi and internet access and all that, but still, you're in Mexico. You're far away from everything that is the USA. And it's good to have advice like, well, you know, you should get a guide and maybe you should, you know, brush up on your Spanish or learn some Spanish before you go there so that you could talk to people For and sure. communicate and solicit help and get guides. And when you roll into that town uh, at the top of the rim of the canyon and it doesn't quite look like where you are on your map, you could actually strike up a meaningful conversation with somebody and get good directions so that you know where you are and where you're going. And then maybe ask them if they'll cook you a meal like Trauma did, you know. For sure. And learn Spanish. Learn yes, Spanish and, sure. shop, and shop at the tienditas in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yes, resupply. The Me- yeah, Mexican government subsidizes these small rural grocery stores. Oh, oh con- yeah, And so, so all of them have canned tuna from who knows how long, and sa- <laughs> saladitas, the um, crackers, saltines, saltines. pinguinos. So I, I have done many a mile in Copper Canyon, surviving off of. Class C cans of tuna and sardines and mustard sauce and nice. saladitas and the gallinas, the cookies. Uh huh. And Those it's amazing. So yeah, they're, and then they were made like in 1940. They're made the same place in the same time as Girl Scout cookies. Wow. Yeah. So, anyway, that's the other thing. You shop in these dusty stores mm-hmm. that get resupplied twice a year and they all have Coca Cola. Yeah, of course. They all do. It's 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 everywhere now these days, man. They're the second biggest consumer. But anyway. they have the real sugar coke there, so the, the, at least there's you that. You can feel good about that. That's you right. And when That's you're right. smoking the local reefer, that coke really tastes good. It does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it brings out that natural sweet taste. <laughs> All right. What? Well, we are going to uh, go to break, and when we come back, we're going to check in with the beers and uh, round out our other segment. Hang on to your hat. The trail show is back. And we're back, back here in Casa Magnanti. And we want to give a quick shout-out to our show sponsor, Purple Rain Adventure Skirts, dedicated to providing women and men with performance apparel that inspires freedom of adventure without compromising style or function. 
And uh, just as it so happens, this summer I did the Sierra High Route with some friends. And Snorkel and Algot and I, all three of us, were wearing our purple rain skirts. And they performed uh, magically out there on the giant, long miles of Talus. So just out of curiosity, when uh, a, a woman or a man wears a purple rain adventure skirt, do they wear underwear under the skirt? Uh, it depends on everyone. I mean, I do. You do. Uh, Snorkel does. All good wears some sort of like boxer brief thing. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But there are definitely dudes, I think, especially that free ball under yeah. the. Yeah. Because I, I free ball under shorts, mm-hmm. but I think I would be a little bit more hesitant to free ball under a skirt. Yeah. I definitely know guys that, that rock the skirt with, with no manties. Huh. You okay. could be like a Scotsman. Yes. Kind Sco- of. Scotsmen probably wear underwear, don't they? I don't know. I. There's that old limerick about the blue ribbon. We'll leave it at that. Didn't you watch Braveheart? Yeah, Dilo. I did, I but did. I was Come a youngster on. then, Come man. On, man. I was a youngster. So I don't remember that. Let's stuff. check in with the beer. We just opened that bomber. What is that, Dilo? This bomber has some text on the side that I can read, which Our, is fantastic. Oh, this God. is the Opus Saison from Four Hands Brewing in St. Louis, Missouri. Do note, listeners, that Four Hands Brewery doesn't seem to put text on the side of their cans, but they put text on the side of their bombers. So if you are one who likes to purchase a bomber or a beer that has text on the side of the can so that you have something to read, or rather to focus your eyesight on um, when it's starting to get a little blurred, okay. buy the bombers. So Here we go. Opus no. is a saison brewed with oh, tea man. and zest. Tea. The perfect accompaniment to the warmer months. This farmhouse style has a bright citrus aroma with notes of tea and spice. Opus pours golden in color with a firm white head. It pairs well with soft cheese and roasted birds. Nice. Yeah, Would you agree bird. with that, M. John? What was that bird that was... Just on the taking off the endangered species, prairie the grouse. grouse. Sage yeah. grouse. Yeah. I wonder how it goes with the sage grouse. Let's yeah. eat some I, sage grouse. I bet you put some rosemary with it. It'll be delicious. Well, I know. I think if you just roll out to the prairie grasslands nowadays, there's so many dead sage grouse on the side of the road from all the trucks trucking oil in and out of there that you'll have a, a field day just yeah. picking up dead grouse on the That's side fine. of the road. How is that for some really lovely, just nature-inspiring <laughs> news, Mags? How about That's that? That's wonderful. You know, yeah. I'm going to go back to the Pawnee grasslands. I was just, you know, touched by those new fracking stations. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go... <laughs> Speaking... Nice. Speaking and you could pick up some sage grouse and roast them over your campfire. And serve when you go out to the prairie grasslands with some saison. With some saison, opus saison from the Four Hands Brewery in St. Louis. Okay. Thank you, Craig Gully. That's going to be so much editing for disco. Anyway, why is that editing? That's uh, like another stuff. Dilo rant. So we are going to go into our our media musings, Mag's media musings. So Mag's, tell us what what we all watched. Well, well speaking week. of being depressed over wild lands being taken, uh, the future. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. <laughs> so the Amita Musings was a new documentary, uh, not just about Ed Abbey, uh, but also about the environmental movement he spawned called Earth First, called Wrenched, named after, of course, um, the Monkey Wrench and the Monkey Wrench Gang itself. And the documentary goes into early years of Ed Abbey, his writings, and about the 70s and 80s, some more recent times with the Earth First movement, how they would monkey wrench and try to stop environmental um degradation of the lands. I'll be polite. I was using another word. And it goes into a lot of that. And his legacy, of course, uh, many years later. And it has some archival footage and um, brief synopsis of the real Monkey Wrench gang and who they were based on in real life, etc. So having said that, um, let's talk about the movie, what everyone thought. Well, um, I'll jump in because I'm like that. I like to be first. 
I was found it to be really, de- really depressing. <laughs> I mean, it's an honest look at what happened, but I also thought it was interesting because I actually didn't know the origins of Earth First, and um, I had heard some of those stories. And I loved the quote. I, I can't remember any of the people's names because that's how I am. But the one guy that said, at some point, he said, "If I, if I had to sit through one more um, Sierra Club meeting, I was either going to kill someone or kill myself." And I thought that was really great commentary. On I'm guessing that movement. was Dave Foreman. Could be, yeah. I, I mean, I thought it was really well done. It was really interesting. It gave a really nice historical look at how things came about. And, you know, I think it gave some varied opinions about what was working and what wasn't working and, and kind of the current state of environmental organizations. Do you know? Uh, yeah. Um, you, everybody's looking at me to add some color to this discussion. I thought it was a good movie. I thought it was entertaining. I'll have to be honest and say that if you've read some Ed Abbey books or maybe more than – if you've read two or three Ed Abbey books and are familiar with the man – the movie really didn't tell you anything that you haven't already heard. Um, so I, th- I think for somebody who doesn't know much about Abby, only read The Monkey Wrench Gang, but didn't feel after reading that that they needed to read two or three more books or even all of his books, this movie would be very entertaining. I found it very entertaining, to say the least. I liked the drama. I liked r- learning about people who felt that it was their duty to go and cause economic destruction to save the environment. I kind of still feel that there's something noble about that, even though it's uh, now considered terrorism in this day and age. But I still kind of feel that there's something a little noble about that because you care so much about something and you're not just blowing up bridges to kill people to, you know... For, to kill people to you know push your point you're you're blowing up the bridge because the bridge is is, is spanning this canyon that you feel is more yeah. more important than the well, ability I, for people I to drive across it. They did a good job at least I don't know if this is actually true but in the movie they talked about how one of the number one rules was to not hurt people. Yeah. So it was just machinery or equipment or whatever. And I think I haven't read a lot of Ed Abbey stuff honestly but I always think that there's some power in being able to see the live people behind the the stories and the voices. Like they had that woman who did all those songs uh, throughout the movie. Katie Lee. Yeah. I mean, that was really cool. There's pictures of her when she was younger exploring that canyon and then she's singing those songs. Mm -hmm. And then you see her as an older woman. And I don't know. I think that's, there's something really powerful. So even if you have read all those books, I think there's something really powerful. And it's like hearing, for me, it's akin to hearing the story from a survivor of something horrific. You know, like hearing it firsthand, not just reading about it, but hearing this person tell their story. And John, do you want to jump in here? I saw, I saw the movie last spring um, in in Silver City. It was it was uh, screened the same as as it's getting ready to be screened in Boulder. I guess past tense now. Um, I know a lot of the people who were interviewed in that movie, and they are all adherents of the they're, they're members of the tribe of Abbey. And and there is a certain amount of desperation that almost borders on, I mean, it's definitely syncophantic, but it, it almost borders on pitiful sometimes yeah. to, to, to bring this man's legacy into the modern era. He died in 89. And uh, there, there, is, there is a lot of dialogue on how well he translates to the year 2015. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways that they d- they attempted to do that in the movie is is 
dealing with Mr. DeChristopher out of Utah, the guy who, yeah. who yes. sort, of sab- sure. sort of sabotaged. And, 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 and I, th- I thought that aspect of the movie was a bit forced. Hmm. Um, the, the, because Mr. DeChristopher is, is, is not anything akin to Edward Abbey. Edward Abbey was an established writer before he became an environmental crusader. The, the, the environmental crusading was his was his overriding theme, even of his earlier books out of the 1950s. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure it really succeeded, but it was interesting to hear these guys. I mean, already one of them has passed away since the movie came out. Charles Bowden passed away. Um, so so the these guys who were interviewed in there, Jack Leffler and Jack was just in Silver City. Um, these people are going to be, you know, I hate to say it, but then Katie's, Katie Lee's 94. Yeah. And she's still piss and vinegar. She is definitive piss and vinegar. She and I have done a couple of book readings together, and it's like, get out of her way. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's almost going to be archival footage here in, yeah. in, in short order, and that's sort of a weird thing to think about. And, and that, I guess that's what I was getting to. It, yeah. it, it, that's, that's the part that was really depressing to me, is that I, I feel that it's the kind of the state, the state of the state, you know, like there were these, these people that were crazy back in the net, crazy like loco, but like crazy passionate about what they believed in. And, um, I, I, I don't know that the movie overtly said it, but I just got that sense of, of like, and here's where we are today. We have all these environmental organizations, but they don't really believe in doing anything. And, 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 and they did say that, that the stakes are higher now and you have to be political in order to affect larger amounts of change because you can pour sand in construction machine engines and stuff like that. But eventually the, the crusher is going to come. And, and I think that was their point is that nowadays the game is much more complicated and you have to play that game. But it does feel like, I don't know, like people aren't as passionate anymore. Do, do I sound like an old person, Max? No, you sound like early, early middle-aged person. Like okay. Me, but um, <laughs> one, one thing I find interesting, we discussed this um, off mic earlier, is that I think many of the adherence to these catchy Ed Abbey phrases. I think Ed Abbey wouldn't, couldn't stand some of them if he met them today. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. he, he was a cranky, and I mean this in the best possible, he seemed like, came across to me as a cranky man who had no use for BS. And if you put him in a modern outdoor organization, the same people who could quote him verbatim, he wouldn't stand them. Well, and I don't think, I mean, I don't really know that much about Ed Abbey, but I, I get that take on him, and I feel like, yeah, he probably, I mean, I probably wouldn't enjoy being around him that much either because, you know, I'm pretty upbeat and friendly and like to joke about things, and he was really, you know, focused, seems like he was really focused on his passions. But we need people like that, you know? We oh, need people who are that passionate. I meant the uh, typical person who goes these environmental type yeah, organizations. for sure. Who for with their Subarus and their, you know, their nice... Uh, their Whole food salad. Their L.L. Bean clothing. He will probably just look at him and just shake his head. Yeah. That, that's my impression, anyway. Either that, he or he would overcome his natural tendency to diss them and think, okay, this is you know at least they're here fighting for the right cause or something. Yeah, he drove a beat up old Cadillac and a beat up old pickup truck. That, yeah, uh, and, and there was footage from that film. Didn't we watch another film? We did. Some of that footage was from that film. I want to talk about that footage. Yeah. I think that was actually one of the best parts of this film was that footage. You know, you read Ed Abbey books, you read The Monkey Wrench Gang, you know, then you, you get really excited. You read another two, three of his books. 
uh, Desert Solitaire was that one of them? Um, that, that was a, considered that, a semi- seminal yeah. book. It's yeah. right behind yeah. you on the so top shelf. So I read Monkey Wrench Gang. Then I was like, this book was awesome. I need to read more. So I think I read Desert Solitaire right after that. And then maybe you read a third book, and you're like, wow, that's Ed Abbey. And you hear his name mentioned every now and again uh, in some old Mountain Gazette articles and whatnot. Um, but then you actually see footage of this guy from the late 80s, and you're like, this is really cool. Like, this is this guy. This is Ed Abbey. He's just this guy. He's standing around in some Red Rock Desert in Utah somewhere that's now filled with tourists and he's just sitting there in his beat up old car that gets five miles to the gallon and he didn't care and it was just it's just this guy and he's just talking I thought that was really beautiful that footage of him was really what I think stood out to me and made this movie really enjoyable we, we did review that last year it was from ABC uh, Why World of Sports and it was considered too controversial uh-huh. and you can see it on YouTube or Vimeo and that's where that, that footage was from. And you can watch the whole five, six, seven-minute segment. And Tim DeChristopher, though, I actually forgot about him, but you guys brought him up earlier. I found that what he did was pretty unique, and it's pretty great. And it's, and it's kind of a modern spin on what Ed Abbey, Abbey was doing. And it's kind of like, yeah, you can put sand in all, those, in all the gas tanks of those construction equipment. But what Tim DeChristopher did was a little bit more powerful than just destroying a couple you know, $30,000 steamrollers at a construction site. He did something that was a lot more powerful, a lot more economically powerful. And he, it brought him kind of onto the scene. It made him a, a public figure. And I, I thought that was really cool, too. I, I've heard of him. I've read about him. I knew what he has done. But, of course, you know, in the modern day and age, there's so much, there's so much happening in the media, so many things yeah. coming and going. So to hear somebody like Tim, to, to see a, a cameo of Tim DeChristopher in this movie and, and watch his saga unfold and to hear what he's doing now, I thought that was also quite beautiful. Yeah, they call it paper munching, monkey wrenching. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the process, and which includes litigation, which of course is the main form of monkey wrenching. Abby, Abby had a an interesting sort of evolution that I don't think he was able to escape. He had the same problem that Hunter Thompson had in in so far as he became a character out of his own books, Cactus yeah. Ed. And I don't know that he. I think at first that helped him sell books, and he was very interested in that. <clears throat> but he he. I think had an inability like Hunter Thompson to extricate himself from the character that was foisted on him to a certain extent and that he invented to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. So it was like every time that he went someplace, he w- he was, he couldn't be himself. There was one venue that I heard about in Moab as poker playing buddies that he, he could be himself. And Hunter Thompson had his Monday night football gatherings where he could be himself. But in all other instances, he had to be Cactus Ed. He had yeah. to come out with a witticism. He had to hit on every woman who was within arm's reach. He had to. He had to. You know, drink heavily, and so. So I really think he was a victim of his own. He wasn't. He was never very successful financially, but a victim of his own image to a certain extent. And uh, I've read probably five or six of his books, and I kind of feel the same way you do. That after the third one, it's sort of. Didn't we just it's like the a re- like reggae the same. like reggae music? It's like didn't we just hear oh. that song? <laughs> you hear that <laughs> disco? <laughs> disco he, likes reggae. Disco music. doesn't listen to the trail show, man. He's not going to hear that. That's true. Yeah. He doesn't. He only edits. I, I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it was just an interesting film, I guess. And, and I think we all have slightly different perspectives based on our experiences with the people in the movie or the books themselves. And 
Um, but it's a really great history of um, the environmental movement and yeah. kind of the radical environmental movement and a lot of things that you forget about. You forget about, I, I believe it was Earth First that burned down the ski lodge at Vail Mountain back no, in... No, that was, was, not Earth that First? was the, the Earth Liberation Front. Yeah. They, did they talk about the Earth the Liberation Front? The yeah, Elf. They did did yeah. they talk about that in the movie? Yeah, yeah they, they, right? did. Okay, good. they did. Okay, yeah. good. So, you know, you forget about all these things. They happened, when, when did that happen? Late 90s? Yeah, that was that was at least 14 or so years so ago. So, it's, it's history, right? You forget about yeah. it, but it's... It's still a pretty powerful thing that they did, um, and it, you know nowadays we'd call it terrorism, but still, it's a powerful thing that they did. My, my only observation about this movie, though, is you brought up the point that those who read Ed Abbey are probably familiar with it. I have a feeling that people are going to see this movie mm-hmm. already a- pretty well acquainted with Ed Abbey. And, and they want to get their Ed Abbey fix. And well, it's been a while since they got their Ed Abbey well, fix. Well, and then there's different Ed Abbey camps. There's the, there's the old Ed Abbey camp and the nouveau Ed Abbey camp. And I think that, as a matter of fact, I know this, that there are numerous members of the Nouveau at Abbey Camp who are going to take exception to this movie, at least partially, Oh, because they weren't, they weren't involved in it. I know three uh, or four people who probably cannot believe that they weren't part of this movie. And uh, I know. I can't believe I wasn't part of it. Why weren't we called? I you know. know. The trail show? We're, we're really on top of a lot of these media things. <laughs> Well, but, uh, examining the internal <laughs> politics of the Abbey tribe is is a very interesting concept. Yeah, and uh, I've I've been at a couple of events that were one or the other, and the other, whichever one it wasn't, were all seriously pissed off. So is this like old versus New Testament Abbey or something? That's exactly that's, right. the, that's exactly the term that my buddy John Kovash in Moab used. Really, so, that's yeah. funny. He called the old plagiarized Testament. Kovash. You guys don't have any problems with plagiarism no, we here, don't. do you? This is our, we might even call this the plagiarism episode, <laughs> because that's kind of what we're doing here yeah. tonight. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, uh, really quick, I'm kind of intrigued by this. What do you mean by Nouveau versus Old Ed? What's the difference in a nutshell? Well, I mean, his, his old poker-playing buddies, you know, from the old days in Moab when he was a ranger, and, and these, these were less public figures, and they protected the private Ed, Ab- Ed Abbey. I see. And then there are the people who came in later who were... who. Their entire relationship with, with Abby was the Cactus Ed persona, I and then they derived sort of enhancement of their own personality by being associated with. They dress like they wear the same, and they wear the same hats. They they wear the same clothing. I mean, it is it's it's it can be pitiful to watch. So one group would drink beer, go hiking, maybe some fishing, play poker. He was just Ed, the guy they knew, who happens to be a writer. The other people want to hang around with Cactus Ed yes, and emulate him. Yeah, exactly. And they and they treat his books as gospel as opposed to good writing. You know, there's a writer in uh, Durango, Colorado, David Peterson, who was in, intimate with Abby in his last few years of life. He actually put together Abby's letters. Uh, Postcards from Ed, I think, was the name of the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he wasn't in this movie, but he was a latecomer, and I was really surprised that Dave Peterson was not in this yeah. movie. It could have been because he, you know, was... In Europe or something, I don't know, but yeah. Jim Stiles was in this in this movie, and I've talked with him about it, and he can cannot figure out why he was in this movie. It was just sort of this thing stuck in there to get a quote from Stiles, who publishes the Canyon Country Country Zephyr out of Moab, huh. although he lives in another state now. So anyway, anyway, it's it's and, an interesting movie. And I noticed that Ron Moak was in there a couple times. Did you see that guy that looks like Ron Moak? I don't I remember his name. No. Every time he popped up, it was like, oh, my God, it's you know, Ron I didn't pick up on that. I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, That's for sure. right. Any other thoughts before we move on? I'd say it's a very entertaining movie. I'd say you're, you'll enjoy it. And there are two new books out about oh. Abby, too. So Ab- Abby, is, Abby is undergoing a resurrection right now. And, and the books are getting 
one of them I just found out I was quoted in. I was like, huh? <laughs> Somebody <laughs> said, hey, that was an interesting quote. And I was dissing the Abbey tribe is, is what I was quoting. Oh, <laughs> so not dissing Abbey, but dissing the Abbey tribe. Send hate two, mail too. <laughs> John Fahey. <laughs> Care of the Moose Job Bar at, at in Frisco, Colorado. Com. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, sounds like uh, it was probably, I don't know. Let's do a quick uh, roundtable here. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Max? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Dilo? Thumbs up. Thumbs up, but like at shoulder height. Yeah, I'm kind of. And I give it a thumbs up. Oh, 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 oh hey, hey, what was that? That was the quiz. That was the correct answer on the quiz show sound. That's right. I thought we weren't supposed to do that tonight. I thought the iPod well, was not here. Well, I already gave you the crickets, so I thought I'd drop Oh, you did give me some crickets. Yeah. All right. Well, let's do the... Uh, Wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is it really... Are these sound effects really just as easy as pushing a button on that iPod screen that's in front of you? Well, this is an iPad. Whatever yes. it is. iPod. iPod. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That's yes. it? Really? Yep. You want to well, hear another one? Yeah, I do. Yeah. There you go. Do we have the three... Two. Yeah, it's time for the chill tip. And now it's time for Disco's trail tip of the month. But Be since low. Disco isn't here this month, because he is just too pitiful to join us, I will be doing trail tip of the month. That's right, I call Disco pitiful. I hope he hears this when he's editing this. And I hope that this doesn't get edited out. You know what else is pitiful? What? Fahey's beer drinking over there, man. I'm a wuss. <laughs> a New Mexico wuss. I think he's a little scared about what he, you know, we were like, I we'll bet. have plenty of beer. I bet I drank more vodka than any of you last night. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> that's for sure. You, dr- you drank more vodka than I did last night, that's for sure. Okay. I, yeah. D-Lo, back to the trail tip. Okay. Please. Can I have my sound effect again? No. No, no Once. more sound effects. All right, fine, guys. <laughs> my trail tip of the month stems from a video that I watched on YouTube that was linked to me from a Reddit post, and I don't read Reddit, by my coworker Dan Cohen, who is an extraordinary mountaineer. Um, Dan Cohen sent this to me today at work, and I watched the video, and I said, I will never walk across a suspension bridge again in a group. And the reason is because if there is a group of people walking across a suspension bridge and said suspension bridge collapses because one of the cables frays or falls or fails, all of you are going into the water at once. Whereas if just one person is walking across said suspension bridge at once, only that person will die. Well, and they might be able to save themselves because they can grab onto something. But if you have like six people falling down on top of you, then you're probably going to go That's also true. But if there is just one person crossing said suspension bridge, when it collapses, that one person will die. (laughs) But not everybody else in their party will die. But if that person doesn't quite die, but falls into the water and is maybe drowning or breaks their neck and is floating in the dead man's float style, their party can run down to the river and save them from certain death. Whereas if everybody fell from the bridge and landed in the, ro- in the rocky river with rapids and whatnot, then everybody would die. So that's my trail tip of the month. I hear the crickets enroaching on me. My trail tip of the month is, to reiterate, do not cross a suspension bridge in a third world country or even a country that you're not familiar with or even in your backyard. Such as Copper Canyon. In a group. One <laughs> at a time, people. One at a time. <laughs> All right, there it is. All right, we're going to take a a final break here before we wrap up the show. And when we come back, we're going to talk about trips. We got mailbag, we've got shout outs, we got all kinds of goodies planned for you when we come back.
The Trail Show. Less gear, more beer. And then there were three. M. John Fahey has left the building, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, he had a prior commitment, so he had to leave. I think he had to walk. His, I think he had to walk his dog. Yes, and I think he had some uh, some alcohol waiting on him at his friend's house. I think he was a little upset that we didn't have any vodka here tonight. Yep, I could see it in his eyes. Poor guy, he was just kind of let down that all we had were these delicious, you know, delicious, lovely beers from St. Louis. I know. Beforehand, compliments of Craig Gully. Well, let's get into trips of the past month. Uh, the four of us, right, went on a trip together. And uh, we went to Alda West, which was fantastic. People, if you did not go, you got to go next year. It's it's so different than it used to be. Whitney Allgood LaRufa throws a fantastic party, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah, and I want to give huge props to Allgood, Snorkel, Tomato, Freefall, so far, who I think has done a couple of things here and there. And, and and a handful of other volunteers, and I don't remember all their names, but those guys have put so much work into this organization to bring it kind of back from the ashes and, you know, kind of make it a little more relevant, I think. And it's so different. Don't you think, Mags? And I don't know if you ever went to one of those gatherings before. I've never been to an All the West gathering. It's my first one. I, I've heard stories from, say, 10 years ago. It was kind of on the downswing. Um, I will say, what a beautiful area it was in, in oh, itself. Yes. It was Camp Kiwanis at the base of Mount Hood, near Govey, as I learned it's Govey. called. Uh, it was just beautiful, and it was just really nice to be there. It was drizzly and cool mm-hmm. on Saturday morning, which sounds weird, but to me, that was just very beautiful. It was nice. You know, just it's such different weather. Everything was lush, and I love being there. And I, I always call this the family get-together slash conference, like a combination yeah, of two things. Yeah, for sure. And I think they did a really good job with the lineup of speakers. There was a lot of interesting, varied topics. That there were. You know, I mean, I don't know. It was just really cool. And people, if you weren't there, you missed the show that D'Lo put on Saturday night. Yeah, D'Lo, you did a fantastic job, sir. D'Lo was in rare form. My dancing? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that I saw that. Is that that what you're referring to? Not not our trail show, but our dancing. No, my dancing. dancing. Yeah. It was pretty incredible. Well, there was, you know... I saw all the ladies up there dancing. Oh, my single ladies. Oh, my single ladies. And I just felt like I needed to dance. And so I went up there and did some dancing because it was there was great. just there was a group of five, six ladies, hiker ladies dancing. Some might call them she hikers. Uh-huh. And I, I was like, man, I got to dance. Like if if my family was here, they would encourage me to dance. For they sure. would be up there dancing too. It was too. great. So and they had these little bottles of bubbles on the tables. Freef came up and did some dancing yeah. too. He was up on the dance floor. He was getting down. So I did some really dancing. Great. Yeah, you were up there doing some dancing. It was really and uh, Disco was running around bubbling people, as he called it. He would just stand behind them and blow bubbles over their head until they got really irritated. It was great. <laughs> I, I, I got to say one thing. Though. This is nothing on the organization. The people went there. They were told we're going to have a, a lovely outdoor ceremony. And a lot of people went through yeah. a lot of effort to put candles out including All Good's wife. Uh, she, she's amazing, just working yeah, so true. well. And they made this amazing setup, and people said, it's too cold out. What yeah. kind of hiker would say it's too cold? A lot of people. Lot That's people why they, that. I'm like, they were told it's going to be outside. So to all those people who not only did you say you were too cold, but they went through a lot of effort, shame. Yeah. Shame. Bunch yep. of wussies. I think, I think we've got a challenge for next 
month's yeah. trail show. It's called Bring a Warm Coat. It's <laughs> the Warm Coat Challenge. You're going to be outside in September in Oregon. Bring a warm freaking coat, people. Thank you. Or double up. Yeah. You're Snuggle. hikers. Yeah, you know, take a trip, take a tip from Trauma and Pepper on their winter southbound hike of the PCT. That's right. And spoon your neighbor. That's right. Yeah. Spoon they talked your about how successful that, that technique was you know, for them. Think about 100 hikers or so. You could do a group huddle. Everyone would be warm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And yeah, put totally. Trauma and Pepper right in the middle because they would love that. That group spoon. Oh, yeah. Group spoon, ladies and gentlemen. If we could have a second trail it's tip like of the month, s- yeah. second trail tip of the month. <laughs> Is it cold out where you are on an evening in September when you're outside watching something when you, you can't be inside? After someone put up candles for your benefit. Group spoon, ladies and gentlemen. Cuddle up next to your neighbor. Stand right next to them. Put your arms around them. Make sure that their crotch is in your pelvis and vice versa. <laughs> Group spoon, ladies and gentlemen. Pewdie, we're out. All right, and I think uh, Mags and I and Disco, we did another trip as well. Yeah, Disco was there? No, actually, he wasn't. What He's am I talking not. about? Yeah, we Snorkel was there. I, I confused them. <laughs> they look kind of the same. No, it's because I've shared Friend. a chat with Snorkel so much now that. And Mr. You know. Swami was there, and Teresa was there of the CDTC and check. I like a whole bunch of trail show celebrities in one form or another. And you know what was cool? About, so we did a hike on the CDT out of. Um, Herman Gulch thank to, you. to I, Jones Pass. I never remember anything. But what I do remember is that we met six southbound CDT through hikers in one day. That's Maybe what two hours apart total? Yes, it was so crazy, and two of them were from Deutschland. Wow! Yeah, it was pretty cool. Did they pretty know Maddie? And it was so cold. Really? But well, you know what? Windy, very windy. We didn't stay inside. We actually went out there and went for it. I was freezing. That last couple miles, it was so windy, and the wind had a bit of a bite to it. But then we got to the top, and I just haven't... <laughs> Happened to have. I just haven't have two costume bins in my car, so... Uh, we should say they shuttled, uh, Teresa and Val shuttled cars around, uh, both staff members of CDTC, and met us and hiked another couple of miles to meet yeah. up with us. And there were the costumes at Jones Pass at 12.5, 12.6, whatever it was, and... Uh, a certain someone did an amazing costume for the Mick Ultra vote right. for the CDTC and get some funds. And there are some, I think we posted those photos. Yeah, I think they're posted. I know I Teresa them. posted them. them. Yeah. They're pretty funny. It was pretty pretty awesome. But, but uh, well, that's pretty much it for me, I think. I said, wasn't the hike itself beautiful, though? It was wonderful. Right along the divide and, you know, crossing at or just above 13,000 feet. And, oh, you could see the, the foliage, you know, the bright aspen below and. It yeah, like it, amazing, the colors were kind of like just starting. It was really pretty. Just an amazing fall day, and oh, it was great. I think that six. I was only yeah. That's pretty much it. We've only taped the show three weeks ago. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's go into our uh, mailbag and uh, shoutouts, shall we? Well, the mailbag is kind of thin this week too. <laughs> but yeah. but I have a an amazing tweet here from Human Tide that just you know fits the tone of our trail. It's not about the miles. It's about the smiles. Good advice about hiking with kids from At Trail Show. Aww. And there's a very lovely photo of Mr. Human Tide, I'm guessing, with the sun walking down the trail. Really? And it's a very nice photo. I, I picture Mr. Lorenzo doing this a few years from now with Leo and possibly someone else, uh, whoever that person it's may be. It's a boy. It, definitely a boy. So we, I got to Photoshop another young boy in here. And that'll be Dilo down the trail, carrying on the traditions of hiking 
with his sons. And it's just a very lovely photo, very lovely sentiment. So if we have to have only one mailbag item, this is a great one to have. So thank you, Mr. Human Tide. Nice. All right. And we've got our, our monthly donors. We've got Diane Pinkers. We've got the... Bobby Walton. Bobby Walton. Elizabeth Higant. Matt Murray. Murray. Bernard Wolf. Wolfie. <laughs> Russ Kinder. Kinder. Craig Gully, who also provided our beer this month. Thank Yay, you so much. Hey, Craig. Who else have we got, Mags? Justin Quality Knowles. Buddy Sessoms. Buddy Sessoms, who's from Florida. So I wonder about those votes yeah, there, buddy. Mm. What's going on down there, Part buddy? Part of the controversy. Keep Ms. it going, Max. Mr. Ken Steinhoff. Gringo Madness. Ingrid Gerard. Who, by the way, earned herself her very own trail hat. Trail show hat. Fantastic. She sent me an email. She said I was having the worst week. I was swamped and life was not going so great. And I came home and there was a trail show hat for me and it completely changed my outlook on life. There, that's the second mailbag item. Fantastic. There you go. There we go. Samuel Emery. Karen Huss. Mark Strobel. And Mr. Matt Murray. I just like saying Mr. Matt Murray. Yeah, I like it. alliteration here. Yeah, exactly. We've got our one-offs, Aurora Franco, who messaged us about hiking 14ers. Oh, Drew Smith, who gave us that conversation last month for Mr. Jarek. Oh, yes. And do you want to talk about this? Yes. So we didn't get your last name. I apologize. But Bruce at All the West came up to us and gave us a very generous donation. Uh, please contact us, Bruce from All the West, and we might have some swag to send your way. Yes. All right. And our beer sponsor, of course, is Craig Gully, who the beer's been in our garage for a while now. We're just finally getting to it, but we are stoked to have it. it was, it's been so delicious. Mm-hmm. All right. What, what else we got? What else we need to check out? We did the trips. We did our donors. I think it's Ask a Hiker. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. Music's allowed. Oh no, I said music is allowed. Ask a hiker tonight. I've got some questions. I think we should tape the segment with D-Lo behind a piano. That would be fantastic. I just want to read all my questions. I have a vision. Ever see the fabulous Baker Boys? I no. think that I have oh. not seen the fabulous Baker Boys. Oh, jeez. Sorry oh. about that, Maggie. Oh, it's a picture of Vision of D'Lo in a tux Ooh. playing the piano. I like it. With, Maybe. with the modern equivalent Michelle Pfeiffer in a slinky dress. Wait, if, if I don't have a baby. We'd have to put him on a booster seat, though. Before you guys <laughs> go to New Zealand. You're saying he's not Jeff Bridges? Look like I'll that. wear a tuxedo. A tuxedo. the next trail show we. All right. All right. That's my challenge. Take it away. All right. All right. Let's see. Ask a hiker on October 8th, 2015, everybody. I have three questions tonight. Three questions that I would like to read to you. The first one, just a little synopsis before I get into the details of each of these questions. Eliza wants to hike the AT, but heard that it's crowded nowadays. Emily wants to increase her daily mileage. And Ryan Hansen needs help getting his daughter to pee in the woods. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, question number one is from Eliza. Eliza writes via email, I am a 40-something who's been dreaming about thru-hiking the AT ever since I read Ed Garvey's book as a child. Now that I'm finally ready and have begun planning, I'm disheartened by finding out how crowded it's become. Does your crew have any recommendations for another route? 
I'm not a complete newbie, but also not up to anything too extreme. The Mahusik Notch is manageable, for example, but nothing requiring more technical skills. My goals are solitude, the occasional chance to resupply, and a slow trip lasting over three months. Location is not an issue. Thank you for your thoughts. Max! Max! So you just assume I have an answer. And you're right! Yeah, I I know you have an answer. Because I know that you, um, A, hate people, B, don't want to see people when you're hiking in the woods, and C, hate people. Just like you do. (laughs) Max! (laughs) (laughs) No, there's two options. uh, P.O.D.? Ding, ding, ding. Oh. No. There's two options. Do... And the ATC is encouraging this now. Do oh. an alternative itinerary. They're having yeah. a kickoff for people who are doing alternative itineraries, be it flip-flopping or what have you. It's on their website. Or a callback to an earlier show, the Great Eastern Trail. Great Eastern Trail. Get the Appalachian experience. You can probably do it comfortably in three or four months anyway. You can go as, as fast or as um, slow as you want to. And there's more and more resources for it. It's still kind of an undiscovered gem. Um, maybe Bent Mackay Trail. Don't forget the Bent Mackay, which well, kind of parallels that the most busiest stretch of the AT. That's only three hundred miles. Still, so. you kind of get you know if you're up for hiking and you're going to do some hiking, you could get ahead of the crowds or avoid the crowds or oh, I see let the crowds saying. thin out if you wanted that traditional spring start. Oh, use that as an alternative. Use that oh, as an alternative to the call. end of the Smokies, you know, because then you avoid the majority of the crowd, the worst of the crowds. The weirdest people you'll ever see trying to go backpacking, you won't yeah, see any of them. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You won't see any of them. Look at the AT as a corridor. Do yeah. alternative trails like the Bent Mackay along yeah. the way. I think there's, what is it, the Tuscarora Trail in Pennsylvania. Also parallels is you can get off there. Yeah. You could hike the long path up to Albany, New York, from New York, the New York City area. That's a, that, that actually crosses the AT uh, right outside Bear Mountain. So you could kind of get on there and head over up that way. And what's interesting is Benton Mackay, when he envisioned the Appalachian Trail, he didn't think of the Appalachian Trail as the trail. He thought it'd be a, a corridor of interconnected trails. Boy, so if, was he wrong. Well, that's it evolved. No, I was kidding. Well, you know, you bring a good point, though. Benton Mackay was wrong. Well, Myron Avery made it more what we know today. His original vision was a little different. Eh, for better or worse. Now it's kind of coming back to that. So look at alternative what about trails. What about West Coast? Anything come to mind on the West Coast or... Rockies at all? Well, let's focus on the East Coast okay, because I think that's the question was the be. AT. You're right. Okay. Um, well, I think we covered it then. We we did. We did a good job. I think that I I always say this. You know, you do want to be very conscious of the Lyme disease in the Mid Atlantic yeah. states nowadays. In New England, of course. So so back to that guy who hiked to the AT with his eight year old son, Paul Molino, who wrote the book, uh, the title of which escapes me right now. It has for three years. Yeah. Uh, wait. What do you mean I've had it for three years? No, the title has escaped you. Oh, for three has years. it really escaped me for three what, years? What, what page are you up to in Wild? Uh, yeah, I got like two pages. Oh, you, al- you almost finished it up at the uh, Mountain Hood. Yeah, I did. I spent a lot of time in the Mountain Hood oh, yeah. uh, gift shop there reading the book. But um, And I watched about two of the three hours of the movie on the plane back good. from England over the summer. Oh, good. But, okay. anyways, anyway. I digress. Uh, Paul Molino has a great suggestion to avoid the ticks. Started Hopper's Ferry in March. Hike as far north as you can. When you start to get into too much snow in Vermont, call it quits. Start to get into too much snow in Massachusetts, call it quits. Head back south. You'll be getting on the trail at at uh, Harper's Ferry, Springer's Mountain. Oh, or you could even hike southbound if you want. That's that'd be crazy. But why not? Right, go against the grain. Um, but whatever you're doing, you know, you could get back on a Harper's Ferry a month and a half later. You know, hike across Virginia. Find yourself at Springer Mountain at the end of May. Be pretty interesting. It'd be an interesting hike, you know. 
And you would avoid the ticks that are going to give you Lyme disease. Nice. All right. Good. Dila. Question number one answered. There you go, Eliza. Have a great hike. Hike your own hike. Question number two. What happened to the music? Thank you, P.O.D. Question number two is from Emily, who writes via the email. Dearest D-Lo. Ooh. I am not a former thru-hiker like you guys, so I never needed to make large numbers of miles. Now starting to backpack at over 35 years old, I've worked my way up to a few consecutive 10 to 12 mile days. But it seems like I need to get to 15 plus mile days to really see the things I want to see in the time I have off for my job. Any training tips for increasing daily mileage when I need to fit training into life? I do try to do a weekend trip at least one weekend a month, usually two, but in the winter, that may slow down. I won't mention any possible ski trips. Thanks, Emily. Miles. How does Emily increase her miles, guys? This is a good question. Uh, you I know, thought so, too. I, I think part of it has to do with perhaps lightening your pack, Lighten which, your which I'm also working on myself for this next trip that we're taking. Um, I think part of it maybe has to do with time on trail. I think as you... You know, you have to start just by committing to the extra hours on trail. And I think once you do that, you can find other ways to trim down the time that it takes you to do those miles. And the other thing is don't hike with D'Lo and Reefer. Because yeah. well, that hey, will incur I many in, I hours in, of nap. No, I'm, I'm just I kidding. can get in some good days, but, you know, I tend to hike all day. I'm not the type of guy. Yeah. This is good advice for, for Emily here. I like to get into camp in the summertime at 7.30, 8 o'clock. Having already cooked dinner, yeah, um, with thirty minutes of daylight left, forty-five minutes of daylight left, um, or even get in a little bit later on that kind of through hiker yeah. style hike. That way, you can really just stretch out and, your and, day. And I think part of that has to do with experience. And you know, for example, most of us can look at a map and say there's probably camping here, and we're not always correct. But for, you know, probably, I don't know, 85, 90% of the time, I feel like I can look at a map and Absolutely. say, there's probably camping here. So I know that if I make it to this spot, I'm probably going to be able to camp. And if I can't, I know that there's going to be probably camping here, this next place. So I think part of the increased mileage has to do with planning, you know, saying, I'm going to be on trail at 6 a.m. I'm going to hike until this time. I'm going to take this break and this break and, and really increasing the amount of time on trail and thinking, Changing your outlook, because I think for a lot of people, that's a, a mental shift to think, I'm going to hike all day. Yeah, most people who backpack, it's more about the camping, which is a fine thing. For sure. But if you're hiking to a camp spot, again, which is a fantastic thing, you're, you tend to do less mileage. Where if you make that shift to the backpacking, it's about the hiking as opposed to the camping. And it's not about hiking faster, it's about hiking longer. But hiking all day doesn't necessarily mean hiking from dawn to dusk consecutively. To P.O.D.'s oh. point about hiking with D.Lo and Reefer, it means enjoying yourself, taking sure. a couple half-hour sure. breaks here and there, taking a two-hour lunch and break, stopping to cook dinner at 6 o'clock, and then after you're done cooking, hiking for another hour and a half or so. And those breaks are actually crucial. That's part of learning how to put in a full day because, honestly, spending an entire day dawn to dusk, especially in the summertime on your feet, is really hard on your body. So it's important to take regular breaks and also take a couple longer breaks where you can elevate your feet for a little bit, Have let your body have a little bit of downtime. Do a little yoga. Yep. Take a nap. Exactly. I find that this actually translates to life off the trail as well. Exactly. Question number three. Ryan Hansen writes via email, I live in Utah and have grown up camping and hiking. 
I feel fairly comfortable with my own knowledge and skills, but I have run into a bit of a problem. As I now have my own kids, I'm trying to get them interested in camping and hiking. My question is this. Do you have any suggestions on how to help my daughter use the bathroom while in the backcountry? I don't want her to her camping experience to be limited to KOA and flushing toilets, but I don't know how to help her. I love the podcast and everything you guys do. Please keep up the good work. Unfortunately, the trail time I've had lately has been in the yard, Delo style. I love hearing about your adventures and living my adventures through you. And that was from Ryan Hansen. That is a good question, Ryan. You know, unfortunately, I think it's a little easier with boys than girls because um, you can do the you know little games where you put like the Cheerios on the ground or whatever, and you you know get them to aim at it. And it's like a little game, and it's hard to do that with little girls if they're squatting. And yeah, I think, I, Ryan didn't say how old his girl his his daughter was. I mean, if she's you know a tween or a teenager, I think. Uh, perhaps involving a, a female into the picture, unless he has that kind of relationship with her where he can actually teach her how to pee standing up. I think that's awesome because that's a really unique thing. And, you know, you can do those types of games where, you know, you can pee side by side and say, hey, let's see who hits the target first, you know. But um, if she's a, a young girl, you know, and she's squatting to pee, I don't know, that's a little more difficult, you know. Well, I find that my three-year-old son has no problem peeing outside anywhere. Um, and he particularly likes to poop in the woods. Uh, we've been yeah. hiking and he says, dad, I have to pee. I have, or I have to poop. I got to poop. So we go off trail, dig a hole and I hold him over the hole while he squats down and makes a poop. And then I wipe his ass and it's a very, <laughs> you know, father son type of bonding experience. I think Norman Rockwell did a painting. About <laughs> he that. might have, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, father wiping son's ass under Ponderosa pine. I think it's the title of the painting you're thinking of, Max. But uh, Saturday evening. I don't know. I mean, it's like when they're three and you're kind of getting started doing that. It's like you know they don't care where they pee. Even if maybe his daughter does because that's why he wrote in about it. I don't know. know? Yeah, I don't know. I I think we we really need to know how old Ryan Hansen's daughter is. Um, Max, do you know how old Ryan Hansen's daughter is? I would say perhaps some parents of young girls would like to write into us. Yes, and we could share that advice because. Quite frankly, this is my wheelhouse. You're the closest, right? Being a, a father of a young child, but who's a boy? I'm though. second closest because I'm a girl. But I've coached my son <laughs> on, you know, one of the things that I've done to make uh, learning to not, you know, you know, taking my child and getting him out of diapers is like, hey, dude, let's pee on some trees, and he's like, yeah, let's pee on that plant. I bet if we pee on that plant and we fill up that leaf with your pee, it'll be there tomorrow. Oh, wow. Let's check out that plant tomorrow to see if my puddle of pee is still there. That's really fun for the three-year-old, you know? Yeah, and then you, and then the, the animals come along and eat all the vegetation that you peed on. I got animals coming along for No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So animals. what we need is our listeners. Do you have any? We still don't know how old this young girl is. Could be a tweenager. Could be five. We don't know. But to our listeners who have daughters who are active backpacking, mothers or fathers, Send us some tips, and we'll share them, perhaps, our next show. Does that sound like a game plan? That sounds like a fantastic idea. Awesome. All right. Anything else, Thilo? That's all I got for this It's good, because the music stopped. Oh, yeah. You know what it's time for. Wait a minute. 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 Gear review. Gear review. Gear review. Gear review. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Gear review. Gear review. Gear review. Gear review. All right, Max. 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 Take it away. So our gear review of the month and honor of our guest who has departed the building 
And of course, the movie we watch. We're going to review a monkey wrench. Dude, I hope he's not trying to blow up this building before we've left. I know, right? I don't. Damn. We gave. He had a questionable bag with him. He did. And it, yeah, it yeah, should be fine. Could have been some explosives. I don't think it was. He said it was vodka in those big bottles. But right? I don't Who know, knows? Man. Anyway, Max. But a monkey wrench. It has so many uses. You can use it to tighten bolts on a uh, bulldozer, or you can loosen the bolts. How big is a monkey <laughs> wrench? It's really big, isn't it? Uh, you it's, can it's get tiny ones, fitting. but you can get tiny ones. Well, it's used for originally for pipe fitting and large machinery, though. Uh-huh. Hence why I was using bulldozers. But you know what it's really good for? Was anyone a Boy Scout besides myself or some kind of organization, like a volunteer firefighter organization or anything like that? No. No? Well, what you do with the rookies, you have them get a left-handed monkey wrench. And it's hilarious because people go around looking for left-handed monkey wrenches all day. Then everyone laughs. There's no such thing as a left-handed monkey wrench. <laughs> and much hilarity. Is no. Wait, wait, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second, dude. Wait a minute. Wait a so minute. It's called for hazing. Why is that so funny? Because it, there's no such thing. So they go around to the stores and like, do you have a left-handed monkey wrench? And then everyone in the stores laughs at them. What, does anybody even really go into the store and ask for a monkey wrench nowadays? I don't know. Why would you do no, such no, a thing? You, you like go to the utility shed or the maintenance building. Do you really need like a two-foot-long wrench? No, you can get smaller ones, and then you can. it can also serve as a tent stake. As a tent Or you could use it to put in tent stakes. Or you could use it to pull out your eyebrow hairs if you're disco, because they're that thick. <laughs> I'm one to talk about thick eyebrows. I'm sorry. I yeah. bet you you could use a monkey wrench to dig a cat hole. To let your child Oh, yes, in. you could. And it would probably be really fun if you gave said child the monkey wrench to dig the hole themselves. Especially if it's an old school and it weighs almost as much as the child. And you could use it as defense against at, at Ryan Hansen. You could throw it at a bear or at a narco traficante yeah. with an AK-47. When that guy comes up to you in the Copper Canyon with an Uzi and says, Here, take this bag of marijuana or I'm going to shoot you. You could hit him with a monkey wrench. There you go. I'm sure I'll be faster than the bullet. In the That's right. And Trail I tip of the month. I'm pretty sure Trauma and uh, Swami each carried a couple of those. Well, I think anybody. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I just, I thank you as the newest Gossamer Gear ambassador. Oh, well, yeah. It, you have a titanium monkey wrench now, don't you? I do. Thank you, Grant Seibel, for the titanium monkey wrench. I'm really impressed with the titanium monkey wrenches that at Gossamer Gear is producing in their California labs. For, for the, nice. For the semi-retired thru-hiker. Yeah, who might just need to, you know, uh, disassemble a steamroller that happens to be parked in front of their house. Nice. All right, so, so monkey wrench. Monkey wrench. Monkey great. wrenching. If you want to do some monkey wrenching, yes. And it's perfect as... Or even if you don't. Or you can finally use it to put down the pages of your book, The Monkey Wrench Gang. You could use it to mark your spot in wild. <laughs> On that note... Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Wait, it's wait, that what, time. What happens at this time of the show? It's the time... Where we end the show. Time for the time to That's end right. at time. Thanks to everyone for tuning in today. A big thanks to Trauma and to M. John Fahey for guesting on tonight's show. Uh, you can reach M. John Fahey at mjohnfahey.com. We'll post a link on our website. Big thanks to Craig Gully for providing beer for tonight's br- for tonight's show. Holy Gully! What a guy. That's right. Thanks to Gossamer Gear for providing a new backpack for the Hashtag Max Challenge. And thanks for the listeners who did trail work. The trails, That's right. thank you. And also thanks to... Uh, Gossamer for taking Dilo on board. He's got something to do now. That's fantastic, Grant. Also, the best. thanks to our monthly PayPal, PayPal donors. Keep the iTunes reviews coming. 
We want to thank Purple Rain Adventure Skirts who make the best hiking skirt you can ever buy. Trust me, ladies and gentlemen, I've tried many, and hers is the best. You can find Purple Rain Adventure Skirts at purplerainedskirts.com. You can always find us at thetrailshow.com, twitter.com, facebook.com, Instagram, and Cafe Press, The Trail Show, Stitcher, and iTunes. Disco at La Tong. Mags at PMAX Co. Delo at Delo. POD at Felicia Darkness. And M. John Fahey, you can find by using smoke signals. Another trail show has come and gone, but don't fret. Halloween, the birth of Delo's second child, and more beers, trails, and nonsense are just around the corner. Until then, for Disco, Mags, Delo, Trauma, and M. John Fahey, I'm the Princess of Darkness. Hasta la pasta. Rasta. Hey Duke lives. Hey Duke lives. Hey Duke lives. Pee on the plants. Pee on the plants. Dig a hole with your monkey wrench in the backyard. Bury your poop. Dig a hole with your monkey wrench. Titanium monkey wrenching. Dig a hole with a monkey wrench. And then you can throw it at the nauticals. Take that. And that's a show. And what about the slowest known time? That one person will die. Bring a warm freaking coat, people. Bunch of hippies slicing big slabs of cheese. Yeah. <laughs>